When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Dead Texas, Lonesome Road. Written by Derek Slayton. Narrated by P.J. Morgan. Chapter One Everybody, Rufus said as he got to his feet, holding up his full cup of coffee. I'd like to propose a toast. He looked around at the breakfast table, meager servings of toast and half pancakes on plates in front of his friends. Wait, aren't you supposed to have alcohol to make a toast? Sparks raised an eyebrow. He simply smiled and winked down at her. You wily old bastard, holding out on us for shame. The white-haired man pulled a flask out of his back pocket and handed it to her. She poured a nip into her coffee and passed it to Jeff, the skinhead to her left. Now as I was saying, Rufus continued as Principal Dan added a little to his cup and passed it to Mary, who poured for both her and Ricky. I'd like to propose a toast to our fellow traveler Ben, who at this moment is flying high above the shit show that each and every one of us is trapped in. May that smart little bastard enjoy his new life at sea. Ricky snorted, and maybe he can come up with a cure and stuff. Hell, I'd settle for a can of zombie spray, Rufus replied. Take them bitches out like roaches. Jeff chuckled, imagining the sight. Realistically, that's probably the best we can hope for at this point. Silence fell over the table, and they all contemplated the fact that this little breakfast was likely the best thing in their lives for the foreseeable future. Well, that got kind of dark quick. Sparks pursed her lips. Who needs more of Rufus's special coffee? Jeff and Ricky both shoved their cups forward emphatically, and Rufus put up a hand. Hey now, I got a limited supply. Don't worry there, Bubba, I got a bottle of Jack in the glove box, Ricky replied, wiggling his cup expectantly. I'll hook you up. Rufus grinned and produced his flask. Round two it is. Principal Dan knocked on the table as everyone passed around the booze to get their attention once again. I'm glad everyone is having a good time. Lord knows we need it after the last five days or so, but we can't be getting drunk. Looks like someone is underestimating our alcohol tolerance, Jeff retorted. Sparks glanced at him with a raised eyebrow. Be that as it may, Principal Dan is right, so this is the last round of the morning. Last round of the morning, Mary said good-naturedly. Man, feels like I'm back in college again. There was a round of chuckles. Rufus clapped Ricky on the back. 
You got yourself a keeper there, bub. Don't I know it, Ricky said with a grin. Pretty sure you left that one off of your job application, Mary, Principal Dan said, leaning on his elbows. She blushed. Sorry, Principal Dan. I mean, I would have still hired you, but if I had known that, I would have toasted your hiring, he replied with a glint in his eye. Another round of chuckles. All right, y'all, Spark said, clapping her hands together. Let's get serious. Dan, what's the situation with the survivors and transport? As far as transport goes, we have two buses that have about three quarters of a tank, so that should get us to at least junction, he replied. Not including the people at this table, we have a head count of 38. Jeff blew air through his teeth. Holy hell, that's a lot of people to take care of. It gets worse, Dan cut in. We only have food and water for about four or five days, and that's with heavy rationing. We may be able to get to junction with that, but we aren't getting much further. Not meaning to sound ignorant and all, Ricky piped up. But where exactly are we headed? Not ignorant at all, Sparks assured him. Unfortunately, I don't think there's an answer yet. Once we get past junction, it's about 200 miles of nothing. Just spitballing, but maybe we should target a place like Fort Stockton? Not a bad idea, Dan said, chewing over it. Small town, isolated from pretty much everything and enough buildings that we could set up some greenhouses and get a sustainable source of food. So my choices are get eaten by zombies or become a vegetarian? Rufus looked horrified. Man, that's a tough one. Anybody got a coin? Wait, wait, back up a second, Jeff cut in, putting up a hand. Greenhouses sound like a great idea, but do we have the material to pull them off? It could be difficult, Dan admitted but I think there's enough ingenuity at this table alone to pull it off. Jeff nodded. So I guess we need to add seeds to our shopping list? More seeds wouldn't be a bad idea, the principal agreed. I packed everything they had at the school for the horticulture club, but it might not be enough. Jeff does bring up a good point, Sparks added. Before we head west, we're going to have to do some shopping. Mary shrugged. Well, we know we need food, water, and seeds. What else could we need? Bullets have got to be at the top of that list, Rufus spoke up. We can handle a couple of them fuckers with blades, but if we run into a pack or a horde, we're gonna need something with a little more punch. We need medicine, Dan added. Cold and flu medication, especially. We're all going to be living in tight confines with unsanitary conditions. One severe flu outbreak could wipe a lot of people out, especially the older ones. Speaking of the older ones, how many senior citizens and young kids do we have in the group of survivors? Rufus wondered, just trying to get a feel for our operational capacity. Out of the 38, Dan pursed his lips. About 30 of them wouldn't be much help in a fight. Rufus deadpanned. Jesus H. motherfucking Christ, you telling me there's only eight people in that group that can handle themselves in a fight? Afraid so, the principal admitted. Between the militia and the zombies, a lot of good people have died in the last couple of days. Christ, man, do we need to add wheelchairs and kitty leashes to the fucking list? Rufus barked, 
running a hand through his snow-white locks. Well, there are some medications, Dan replied. Rufus scrubbed a hand down his face and tittered a humorless laugh. Of course there are. We have a couple of people with heart issues, and they need nitroglycerin, the principal continued. It's not exactly a popular recreational drug, so I'm hoping that the pharmacy at the grocery store in Fredericksburg will have some. Well, looks like you have our target picked out for us, Jeff said with a sigh. I'm totally open to different ideas, Dan protested, but I think this is going to be our best bet. Fredericksburg is about 10 miles north of here, and the grocery store is in the southern part of town. My hope is that you'll be able to sneak in and secure the store without much resistance. Jeff leaned back in his chair. How big of a town is it? About twice the size of comfort, Dan replied. So we have what? The skinhead scoffed. The potential for a few thousand of these things? Yeah, that sounds like a breeze. Well, it's either that or we starve to death, the principal snapped. Sparks put up a hand. Not necessarily. What do you mean? Dan raised an eyebrow. The redhead took a deep breath. I mean the militia compound. Holy hell, girl, you want to go back there? Ricky blurted. I know we put a whoopin' on them and all, but they might not take kindly to us showing back up. It's not going to be an us, she said firmly. It's going to just be me. Sparks, are you joking? Jeff burst out. We beat them, and they don't know where we are. Let's just do the Fredericksburg run and get the hell out of Dodge. I agree that y'all should do the Fredericksburg run, but the reality is we don't have a lot of time, and we can't dismiss a potential source of supplies, she said calmly, putting both palms on the table and standing up. They raided Centerpoint and Comfort, and presumably had stockpiles of stuff when we hit. If we can get our hands on that, we'll have enough to get us to Fort Stockton or wherever the hell we're going. Plus, I don't know about you, but I want to make sure we don't have to spend this entire trip looking over our shoulder, wondering if Elijah and his wannabe soldiers are after us. Sparks is right, Dan piped up. If they have supplies, we can certainly use them. Well, hell, girl, if you're gonna go, Rufus said, eyes softening. Let me come with. If you run into those tiny dicked militia bastards, you could use another gun. These guys need your infiltration skills, Rufus, she said to him. And besides, once I hit comfort, I'm going to be hiking on foot. If they are still out there, it's too dangerous to be driving around. Last thing I want is to end up in a car chase in the country. The older man sighed. I see your point, and would just like to add that I appreciate the fact you complimented me before taking a giant shit on my ability to keep up with you. Don't take it personally, Rufus, she said with a glint in her eye. Not too many men out there can keep up with me. Like I told you, girl, he said with a playful wink. I'm willing to give it a go if you are. She couldn't help but crack a smile. Not until you're ready to die. Well, according to our current plan, it'll be when we get out to Fort Stockton, and I have to eat salad for every meal, he muttered, and everyone chuckled, breaking the tension. Well, looks like we have us a plan, Dan cut in. So this is what I'd like for y'all to do. Go to these locations and secure the supplies. Then radio back 
and I'll send a couple of trucks to load up what you have and bring it back here. Thanks to our military friends, we have the ability to communicate with each other now. Looks like I'll have the command module, and each team can reach me on their earpiece. Unfortunately, you won't be able to communicate with each other. Jeff furrowed his brow. So how are we supposed to let you know where stuff is? The cell service looks like it finally crapped out a couple of hours ago, so the maps on the phones won't be much help, the principal explained. There are a couple of dedicated GPS systems in the buses, so we'll grab those. Might be a good idea to program in this place, just in case the path you came from gets blocked. Which brings up the next question, Sparks piped up. What's our timeline? I mean, based on what the military guy said, San Antonio is going to be emptying out soon, if it hasn't already. I'd say we go as soon as we're ready, Jeff said. Dan nodded. I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I also think we need a drop-dead departure time. Forty-five hours, Sparks declared. Ricky blinked at her. Well, that's an odd choice of time there. Not really, she shrugged. It's 9 a.m. now, so in 45 hours, it'll be 6 a.m. The sun will be coming up, and we'll have the maximum amount of daylight to make it to our next destination, which I know we said is junction, but it might be prudent to stop at the exit before it. That's a good call, Dan agreed. It's the last stop for gas for a long while, so everybody who has the same idea we do is going to be stopping there. And as them militia boys found out, Rufus added, we don't really play nice with others. The principal eyed him warily. Ideally, we'd like to avoid bloodshed if possible. But if it comes to that, we'll be ready, Sparks added. So as a contingency, how long are we staying at the meeting spot in Junction? Jeff asked. We're all essentially going into a war zone, so some shit can happen that will throw us off schedule. The principal took a deep breath. Even the best case scenario is that we're going to have limited supplies, so I wouldn't recommend staying longer than necessary. Stay one day, Sparks decided. If nobody is there by 6 a.m. the following morning, they'll be on their own, with the ultimate plan to reach Fort Stockton. The good news is that once you get past Junction, there are only so many places the group can go, so even if we get separated, it'll be easy to find them. She downed the last of her lukewarm coffee and set the cup on the table. All right, we should get ready to head out. Sorry, but I have to veto that idea, Dan argued, putting up a hand. You are all exhausted and need rest. We don't have time for that, Sparks countered. Yes, you do, he said firmly. Sleep for two hours, that's all I ask. She pursed her lips. I'll give you one. Fair enough, he conceded. In the meantime, we'll get your travel pack ready to go. Food, water, and whatever else you may need. Cell phones, the redhead added. Why? Dan furrowed his brow. The cell system is shut down. That may be, Sparks agreed, but they still have alarms on them. Those things are attracted to noise, so having a phone can potentially save a life. I'll collect all that I can he said. Is there anything else? The officer nodded. I need duct tape and a pair of binoculars. Should be able to dig up the tape, but I'll be surprised if I have a set of binoculars. He cocked his head and thought. 
Although, if you are going through comfort, that truck stop is pretty well stocked. They might have a set for you. That was going to be my first stop anyway, Sparks told him. If the militia is still active, they'll probably have men stationed there. Guess I'll do a little shopping while I'm there. You ladies and your shopping, Rufus cut in with a laugh. Not even the apocalypse can keep you from it. She punched his arm playfully. Watch it, old man. All right, everybody there are a couple of rooms upstairs with some beds and cots, Dan said loudly, pushing his chair back from the table. Everybody be safe, Sparks said as the group rose to their feet and shuffled towards the stairs. I'll see y'all in a couple of days. We've got a full strike team, Jeff replied, smiling though his eyes were concerned. You're the one who needs to be safe. Ah, hell, Jeff, you've seen the shit this woman can do. Rufus clapped the skinhead on the back. If I had to bet, I'd say she's gonna have to come rescue us before it's all said and done. Sparks laughed. Appreciate the confidence there, Rufus. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Chapter Two Sparks strolled out of the house, shaking off the grogginess behind her eyes from the too short sleep. She secured her sidearm and slung the AR-15 over her shoulder. Hey, Sparks, over here, Dan called, and she turned to see him waving at her from the back of Ricky's truck. What's up, Dan? She asked as she walked over to him. You got my bag ready? Yeah, I got you food and water for the next couple of days he said, and some duct tape and a couple of cell phones. She pursed her lips. Only a couple? Yeah, it was slim pickings on those, so I gave each group two of them, he explained. She nodded. It'll have to do. Need you to do one more thing for me, Dan said, turning fully towards her. Sparks looked up at him expectantly. Sure. Need you to give the boys here a lift down to the school. He motioned to three men heading over from the nearest bus. There are a couple of pickup trucks we need to secure. I know you're going on foot, so Hale here is gonna drive Ricky's truck back. She nodded again. Shouldn't be a big deal to do that. She took the bag from him and opened the driver's side door, tossing it inside before climbing up herself. After closing it up, she reached out the window and smacked the outside a few times to signal to the guys to get in. Two men hopped into the bed, waving to Principal Dan, and Hale climbed into the passenger seat. Sparks nodded to the robust middle-aged farmer. You be careful, Sparks, 
Dan put a hand on the truck, looking her straight in the eye. And stay in touch. We'll do, Dan, she agreed. Once I scope out the gas station and the grocery store in comfort, I'll give you an update. She leaned out the window. You guys secure back there? She called, and both replied in the affirmative. All right, then, we're moving. She waved to Dan, who stepped back to allow them room to bustle off. She punched the accelerator and sped off towards the school. Thank you, Hale said, clasping his hands together in his lap. Sparks furrowed her brow. For what? For everything you did for us yesterday, he replied, swallowing hard. If you and your friends weren't there, then we probably wouldn't be here right now. No thanks are necessary, she shook her head. I'm doing the same thing you're doing, just trying to survive this nightmare. Still, he said, thank you. She nodded as opposed to replying, and soon they were pulling into the parking lot of the school. She stopped next to two sitting pickup trucks and hopped out of the driver's seat, leaving the vehicle running. All yours, Hale, she said as she slung the backpack over her shoulders. He slid over to the driver's seat and leaned on the window as their passengers hopped down and manned the other two trucks. You sure I can't give you a lift into town? He asked. She shook her head. Safer if I go on foot. If the militia are there, I don't want them to know I'm coming at all. All righty, he nodded. Well, you be safe, ma'am. Sparks gave him a little salute and stepped back to allow them room to peel out of the parking lot and took a deep breath. As the truck engines faded from earshot, she closed her eyes for a moment, letting the light breeze kiss her skin and ruffle her hair. She savored the brief moment of peace before what was sure to be a non-peaceful day. Sparks crept towards the gas station parking lot, taking cover behind a dumpster. The place was mostly quiet, except for a few figures moving on the other side of the building. The windows on both sides allowed for her to watch their shadows. Well, either you're zombies and I'll have to kill you, she muttered to herself. Militia and I'll have to kill you, or civilians, in which case I just might have to kill you. She checked her assault rifle and slung it back over her shoulder. It was a last resort weapon, not just for the noise attracting unwanted attention, but because of her dismal ammo situation. She took a deep breath and broke into a combat run across the parking lot, crouching at the brick-pillared corner of the store. She peered around the corner, and finding it clear, she darted to the glass doors. Staying low to the ground, she kept her eyes on the figures outside and pushed open the door as quietly as she could. Ding, 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 ding. The bell attached to the top of the door cheerfully announced her presence. Fuck, Sparks dove behind the nearest shelf as three men hurried around the building and through the tinkling door. Spread out, see what that was, a voice barked, and the redhead's blood ran cold at the authoritarian voice. Yes, sir, two voices responded in unison, and her stomach sank. Militia. She couldn't see the front of the store well enough to make a move on the enemy there, and glanced to the back. The steps were closer now, and she weighed whether or not she'd be able to make it to the back bathrooms and bottleneck the militia members in the hallway. She popped into a squat, preparing to make a run for it, when a zombie ran headfirst into the front door. 
It smacked so hard against the glass that the doorbell trilled, and the guy at the front door snorted. Just a zombie, he said. Peg that motherfucker. The member closest to Sparks turned and fired, shattering the front door and the zombie's head, leaving a mess of broken glass and guts on the concrete. Man, what the hell time is it anyway? The third guy asked, wandering towards the front of the store. Damn near noon, the guy at the front replied. Why in the hell haven't we been relieved yet? The shooter asked. Good question, they're nearly an hour overdue. Front door agreed. I'll give them a call. There was a crackle as the static of his walkie-talkie filled the dank air. Camp Freedom? Camp Freedom, Unit 2 checking in. Request status update on Relief Squad. Static. Camp Freedom, do you copy? Static. Could the comms just be down? The shooter asked. Unlikely. The third guy made it to the front and sounded worried. Maybe them high school folks hit back. You want to talk about unlikely? The shooter laughed. Whatever it is, we gotta go check it out. The first guy pocketed his walkie-talkie. Okay, you two go. I'll stay here and hold down the fort. The worried guy offered, and Sparks rolled her eyes. You stay frosty, the front door guy said. We'll be back soon. The bell dinged twice, and then a truck started up and peeled out. Sparks peeked around the corner of her hideout, watching the remaining militia member stroll over to the drink cooler. He opened the door, letting the cool air waft over him as he popped open a soft drink. As the glass fogged up from being open in the heat, she used that as cover to move up the aisle with her weapon raised. When he closed the door, he stared down the barrel of her AR-15. Tasty beverage, she asked, and he threw the drink at her before tearing away from her. She dodged and stuck her foot out, tripping him up so that he hit the tile's face first. She kicked him in the nuts, and as he recoiled into the fetal position, she towed him onto his back, resting her foot on his chest. He groaned in pain, holding his sack and sputtering through the blood running from his busted nose. She pointed the rifle down at his wide-eyed face. You may be a young one, but don't pretend for a second that your youth is going to cut you any slack with me, she warned. You and your buddies there did a number on me and my friends yesterday, so as far as I'm concerned, every single one of you is marked for death. Oh, please, no, 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 he moaned. It wasn't me, I swear. She cocked the gun. Save it, she demanded. All I see when I look at you is that uniform. Now how do you feel about answering some questions for me? He nodded furiously, eager to comply. Good, she said. First question, how many men you have in town? He took a deep breath. I'm it right now. I don't believe you. Sparks sing-songed. It's true, he protested. So you don't have anybody over at, say, the grocery store? She raised an eyebrow. No, we cleaned that out yesterday and took everything to the farm, he explained hurriedly. The farm? She asked. Don't you mean the compound that's out in the woods? No, it's some sort of safe house for the senior members, he replied, spitting some blood from his mouth. When people are running missions, they can't always make it back to the compound. She leaned forward. So where is this farm? I don't know. He visibly trembled. She pressed the barrel against his forehead. 
You literally just said that you cleaned the grocery store out and took it to the farm. I just helped load it up in the truck, he cried. They don't trust me enough to share the location. She lowered the rifle and cocked her head at him. All right, militia boy, I just have one more question for you, she purred. What's your blood type? Uh, it's B positive, he stammered. But why do you need to know that? Just checking to see if I needed to waste a bullet or not, she said, and in one fluid motion, drew her knife and slashed his throat. He reached for the wound, gurgling, but she kicked his hands away from trying to staunch the bleeding. She watched the panic in his eyes, and her heart skipped a beat. A week ago, this was just a kid. Granted, a racist kid with some bad friends, but still, just a kid. She knew she had made the right choice in ending his life, because if the other members came back, he could warn them about her. But she still didn't feel great about what she had to do. This was war, but it wasn't a war she had started. When the last of his life left his eyes, Sparks knelt down, wiping the blood on her hands on his pants. She reached to take his ammo, but then realized that if the others found him like this, it would give her away. Fuck, now what? She muttered to herself. She took a deep breath and then used the serrated edge of her knife to hacksaw his neck wound raw. It didn't look exactly like a bite, but it could pass for one at a quick glance. She took his handgun and put it in his hand, put it to his head, and pulled the trigger. Brain splashed against the drink cooler, and she let him slump, hand falling to his lap. She eyed the gun, but the need to stay undetected at this juncture was greater than the need for ammo. She drew her weapon and moved to the front of the store, checking both directions to make sure the gunshot hadn't attracted more zombies. Upon deciding the coast was clear, she hopped over the counter and checked the back wall of electronics for sale. She scooped a pair of cheap binoculars and four disposable cell phones. Sparks approached the supermarket, taking a position about a hundred yards away to break out her new toy. She gazed through them, adjusting the focus. There were a few dozen figures roaming the entrance, all zombies. A few of them were in militia fatigues, showing her that their conquest of the store wasn't without its costs. She zoomed in as far as she could, tutting quietly at the sight of empty shelves through the front door. She tapped her earpiece. Good to hear from you, Sparks. Dan's voice came through into her ear. What's the situation? Comfort is a bust, she said quietly. There was a trio of militiamen at the gas station, but from the sounds of it, they had no idea we took out their compound. What about the supermarket? He asked. Picked clean and overrun with zombies, she replied. But according to the militia douchebag I interrogated, he said they moved it to their safe house. Some farm, but he didn't know where it was. Well, I'll send Hale and the boys down to pick him up, Dan offered. Maybe we can get it out of him. She swallowed the lump in her throat. I had to eliminate him. Couldn't risk him signaling the others. Understood. Dan paused. You okay? About as okay as I'm gonna be, she replied thickly. You don't have to push on if you don't want to, Sparks, he reassured her. Yeah, I do. She cleared her throat, firming up her voice. 
We need that food and medication, especially if the other target is empty or has a horde occupying it. In that case, as soon as I get confirmation they got it secure, then you can come back, he declared. Sparks lowered her binoculars. How are the others doing? Just got off the horn with them a minute ago, he told her. They were about a mile from Fredericksburg. Keep me posted, she instructed. I'm headed to the compound. He took a deep breath. Be safe. Yep, she clicked off the earpiece, gave herself a little shake, and began the long hike to the compound. Chapter Three Ricky rounded the bend a mile outside of Fredericksburg, and Mary gasped at the giant plumes of thick black smoke rising out of the city. What in the fuck is that? Her husband blurted, and Rufus leaned in the back window from his perch in the bed of the truck next to Jeff. Looks like some shit went down in Fredericksburg, he drawled. Mary shook her head. It looks like the whole city is on fire. Well, hopefully it looks worse than it is, Jeff put in, and really hope that the fires haven't reached the grocery store. Well, we're about a mile from the store, so we'll find out soon enough, Ricky replied solemnly. Slow down to about 20 miles an hour there, Ricky, the skinhead instructed. Rufus and I can stand up then. We really need to be on guard from here on in. We'll do, the driver nodded. The comrades in arms stood up once the truck was slowed right down, leaning over the roof with their assault rifles. Mary rolled down her window, but her husband grabbed her hand as she reached for her shotgun. That shotgun's gonna be too much to handle from the window, he protested. Don't worry, though, them boys in the back got you covered. She pulled her handgun from its holster on her thigh, just in case. He smiled at her, admiring the schoolteacher's toughness. As they entered the residential streets, the home sat quiet. It looked like a massive battle had gone down in the suburbia cul-de-sac, zombie corpses littering the road next to a row of cars that looked like they'd been used for cover. There were no civilians to be seen, however. Hanging a right in two blocks and we'll be there, Ricky called back through the rear window. 10-4, Jeff called back. However, when Ricky made the turn, he slammed on the brakes. Motherfucking fuck. Well, that's not good, Jeff muttered. The massive grocery store stood a hundred yards ahead, with reams of thick smoke pouring out of it. Jeff smacked the roof. Get a little closer. Why? Ricky cried back. The fucker's on fire. We need to see how bad it is, Jeff protested. We might be able to sneak in and salvage something before the flames overtake it. Ricky shook his head, but crept forward, pulling into the parking lot. The fire seemed to be contained in the back half of the store, where the majority of the smoke plumed out of. The front part looked moderately clear. See? Jeff hopped down from the truck bed. We can get in there and get some stuff if we hurry. Fire ain't the only thing we gotta worry about, Rufus reminded him. Ricky, give the horn a good long honk. The mechanic complied, the horn echoing throughout the parking lot. Within a few seconds, half a dozen flaming zombies emerged from the shattered door at the front of the store. They shambled slower than normal, but still faster than anyone would have assumed a body on fire could move. 
Before they were halfway across the parking lot, another ten emerged from the smoke. Man, that's a whole lot of nope right there, Rufus declared. God damn it, Jeff conceded. Okay, Ricky, get us back to the edge of town and pull in behind that cul-de-sac fortress we passed. We'll do, Bubba, Ricky agreed, happy to get away from this scene, and peeled back through town. He parked behind the cars, and Jeff hunkered down, touching his earpiece. You guys keep watch, I'll call into Principal Dan, he said. Ricky and Mary jumped out of the truck to take defensive positions behind the cars, while Rufus watched the houses from atop the vehicle. Hey, baby, watch where you step, Mary said. It doesn't look like it ended up too well for these people. Ricky shook his head. Judging by how crappy these houses are, they didn't have a whole hell of a lot to lose, but what they did have, they lost in a big way. Hey, Principal Dan, you there? Jeff asked. Man, you guys are quick, Dan replied. You have the grocery store secured already? It's a no-go on that, the skinhead admitted. It's currently burning to the ground and is infested with flaming zombies, so we got nothing. Sparks struck out in comfort, too, the principal replied with a sigh. Well, have you got any bright ideas? Jeff asked. Because starving to death isn't exactly high on my list of things to do. Dan took a deep breath. Where are you guys now? We retreated to city limits on the route we came in on, the skinhead replied. Perfect, I need you to get to the GPS and look for a place called Colonial Court, Dan instructed. Jeff raised an eyebrow. All right, hang on. He reached through the window and grabbed the GPS, fiddling with the touchscreen. Okay, I got it. Looks like it's a couple miles east of us. So what the hell is it? High-end gated community, the principal replied. In Fredericksburg? Jeff scoffed. Are you shitting me? Little known fact, Dan said. But Fredericksburg has a large number of wineries. Turns out a lot of the winery owners want to live in nice houses, so they bought up some land in the middle of a working-class neighborhood and put in Colonial Court, complete with an eight-foot-high brick wall that surrounds the entire thing. Even in the apocalypse, you learn something new every day, the skinhead replied in wonder. Dan chuckled. Happy I could educate you. So what's the play? Jeff asked. You guys get in, go from house to house, and raid the hopefully well-stocked pantries, came the reply. Stage it, and I'll send the boys to pick up everything you can find. Sounds like a better prospect than flaming zombie land, the skinhead admitted. All right, we're on it. I'll touch base when we have it secure. Be safe, Dan instructed. Yep, Jeff switched off the earpiece. All right, y'all, we have a new target. Ricky and Mary made their way back towards the truck. Where are we going now? Rufus asked. Someplace I don't think any of us have ever been to before, Jeff grinned. A rich-ass gated community. Oh, I like it, Rufus mirrored his expression. Hopefully these richy rich types will have some high-end alcohol. Jeff barked a laugh. Good to know you have a one-track mind there, Rufus. Hey now, I think of boobs, too, he defended. Whoa there, Mary piped up. Well, not yours, Mary, Rufus said quickly, a blush creeping up his cheeks. I mean, not that they aren't nice, but I mean, 
Ah, fuck it. Let's just go shoot some rich zombies in the face. He cocked his gun, and she playfully smacked his shoulder through the window, cracking a smile. Colonial Court was hidden from view by a red brick wall tied together with an ornamental wrought iron gate. A brick guard booth sat in the middle of the driveway, and Ricky and Jeff skirted it to take the gate in their hands. After giving it a good shake, it rattled and moved about six inches in each direction. Well, hell, they spent all this money on the wall but skimped on the gate, Ricky said with an amused grin. Sure, it looks pretty and all, but man, I've seen some beaver dams that were sturdier than this piece of shit. So it shouldn't be a problem to remove it? Jeff asked. Looks like this thing is motorized, he replied. So let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. Ricky popped into the guard booth to look for the switch, but the controls were badly damaged. Well, shit, looks like someone went all Babe Ruth on the control panel there, he said as he emerged. Busted it up good. Jeff shrugged. So, plan B? Yeah, the gate won't be a problem for the winch on my truck, Ricky nodded. Although we probably want to do that when we're ready to get the hell out of here. The skinhead furrowed his brow. Why? Well, when that big bitch comes down, it's gonna make a hell of a racket, his companion explained. From the looks of it, this is the only way in or out, so if we attract unwanted attention before we're ready to go... We'll be fucking ourselves, Jeff finished. Yeah, great. He looked around and noticed a small parking lot to the right against the wall. Why don't you park your truck over there and we'll hop the fence and just borrow someone's ladder when we're ready to hop back. Sounds like a plan, Bubba, Ricky agreed. After moving the truck, Jeff climbed up first, peering down the other side and dropping in an awkward manner. He jumped back up hoping the others hadn't seen his bad landing, and scanned the immediate area for zombies or people. There were none, so he waved for Rufus to follow him. Once everyone had landed, the quartet moved quietly into the backyard of the first house. The yards were mostly open in the ritzy neighborhood, with no fencing to separate them. Though the houses were so close together, it would have been hard to have fencing as it was. They wandered under the mid-sized trees in the first yard and up onto the back porch. Jeff jiggled the handle of the patio door. No luck, we'll have to break it, he said. And as if on cue, a zombie slammed into the glass from the inside. The skinhead tumbled backwards in shock, drawing his handgun at the same time. The zombie thrashed against the glass, but it didn't budge or crack. Thank Christ these rich folks sprung for the safety stuff, he breathed. You all right? Rufus asked, helping his companion to his feet. Yeah, let's just put this house on the maybe list, Jeff replied. Rufus chuckled. Plenty of houses left to hit, he assured him. The group moved towards the next house, just as a shot rang through the air, snapping into the tree next to Ricky. He shoved Mary behind it, Jeff and Rufus taking cover at the edge of the patio. The older man aimed over the top, the younger around the bottom. They made out a middle-aged man in jeans and a white tee, standing on his back porch with a shotgun. That's far enough, assholes, the guy bellowed. Yo, chill the fuck out, man, Jeff cried. We ain't gonna hurt you. Nah, you just want my shit, right? He called back. 
Well, you can't have it. He fired off another shot, blowing off the wooden railing six feet away from where they were crouched. Man, this guy is a shitty fucking shot, Rufus said quietly. Pretty sure I could walk into the middle of the yard and he'd still miss. Let's not tempt fate, shall we? Jeff suggested. Rufus pouted. Eh, hey, you're no fun. Another shot rang out, but didn't appear to hit anything. Jeff glanced over at Ricky and Mary, who were perfectly safe behind their tree. Look, man, we don't want your shit, he called gently. We won't even come into your house, I swear. You won't even know we're here. You don't get it. This entire neighborhood is mine, the guy yelled. I took it. When the mayor rounded up everybody to take them to the old church downtown, I said he could go fuck himself. When he persisted, I shot a few of them. Finally, they realized I meant business and left me alone. And guess what? I was fucking right. I don't know what went down at the church, but I'm guessing by the smoke it wasn't good. Now why don't you do yourself a favor and fuck off before I have to shoot you all too? His next shot hit the ground a few feet away from Ricky and Mary. Can I shoot this motherfucker yet? Rufus raised an eyebrow. You have a shot from this angle? Jeff asked. The older man inclined his head to the tree. I like Ricky's vantage point better. Okay, the skinhead gave in. I'll lay down some covering fire and he was cut off by the sound of shattering glass and the unmistakable screech of zombies. A couple of houses up, a small pack of zombies poured out of the back patio door that had finally given way under their onslaught. They raced towards the standoff, undeterred by the neighbor's panicked shots that missed them entirely. He tried to dive back inside, but they got there first, tackling him into his house. Another shotgun blast pinged around his kitchen as Jeff waved to Ricky and Mary. Get across the street, he screamed, and the quartet tore between two houses, Rufus pulling up the rear. When they got to the other side, he whipped around to fire a few rounds back at their pursuers, hitting the lead zombie in the head to trip up the two behind it. It's locked, Ricky cried from the front door of the first house, an elegant wooden number with a glass panel in the middle. Move, Jeff instructed, and when his companion did so, he fired his assault rifle, shattering it. Everybody in, he cried and they all hopped through the hole. Rufus, clear the house. Ricky, help me with this table. They grabbed the dining room table, flipping it on its side, and slammed it against the hole in the door. Mary sat on the ground with her back to it, wedging herself up against it to keep it from moving. She drew her handgun to keep watch as Rufus cleared the house. The two pursuing zombies slammed into the waist-high barrier, squealing and Jeff punched his rifle over Mary's head, pushing back one of the attackers. Ricky drew his handgun, but Jeff shook his head. Save your bullets, he directed. Use your knife. Ricky nodded and dispatched the two zombies each with a stab to the head. They crumpled onto the front steps. Meanwhile, Rufus set his handgun on the kitchen counter and picked up a thick wooden cutting board, smacking a wayward zombie in the face with it. It staggered, and he knocked it over, bashing the corner of the board into its forehead repeatedly. Once it stopped moving, he finished his sweep, coming back around to the front door. Outside secure, he asked. For the moment, Jeff replied. And the house? Ground floor is cleared, 
the older man said. I'll take the second floor. Jeff nodded as Rufus moved up the staircase. All right, Mary, if you want to go inspect the pantry and medicine cabinets, your husband and I are going to see if we can attract any more zombies to our little trap here, he instructed. Sure thing, Mary agreed. Can I bring you boys anything from the kitchen? Jeff nodded. Could use some water. And a towel, Ricky piped up. That last dead fucker leaked all over me. His wife nodded. Coming right up. You good for another assault? Jeff asked his partner. Ricky took a deep breath. Yeah, let's get it over with. Jeff put two fingers in his mouth and let out a piercing whistle. Well, once those zombies across the street are finished with lunch, hopefully that will get their attention. If not, then they must be deaf, cause holy fuck, that was loud. His companion winced. Sorry about that, the skinhead laughed. I'll warn you next time. That would be appreciated, Ricky confirmed. Mary reappeared with bottled water and a towel. Here you go, boys, she said. Thanks, babe. Her husband smiled at her and accepted the towel. Jeff grinned. Thanks, Mary. Took a quick peek into the pantry, and it looks like it's loaded, she told them. Like Costco loaded. All right, maybe we won't starve to death after all, Jeff said. Hey, Ricky, can you keep watch for a minute? I'm gonna call Dan. Have at it, Bubba, his companion replied. Jeff nodded in thanks and hit his earpiece. Jeff, what's the story? Dan asked immediately. Well, it's actually good news for once, the skinhead replied. We got into colonial court, and the first house has a lot of goods. That's great news, the principal gushed. I'll let the boys know. We ain't gonna need them for a while, though, Jeff cut in. Some of the houses have zombies in them, so it's gonna take us a while to get everything secured. Dan pursed his lips. How long, you think? Let's see, there looks to be 14 houses in here, Jeff guesstimated. Maybe four hours for us to work our way through? It'll go faster once we get the straggler zombies taken out. Speaking of which, hang on a sec. He leaned out the door, let out another loud whistle, attracting the attention of one of the zombies from across the street. Sorry, had to stay on top of it. Ow, Bubba, Ricky muttered, poking at his ear. No worries, Dan replied. Do what you gotta do, and touch base with me in a couple of hours for an update. Jeff nodded. Ten four. He clicked the earpiece and jabbed forward with his rifle to stop the latest zombie, just like last time. Ricky stabbed it in the head, just as Rufus descended the stairs. Upstairs is clear, the older man declared. Good, Jeff commended, clapping his friend on the back. Mary is taking care of the pantry, so if you wouldn't mind checking the bathrooms for medication, that'd be great. You got it, Rufus agreed. I'll check the bedrooms for weapons and ammo, too. The skinhead nodded. Good call. Hey, guys, Ricky piped up. We may have a problem. The two men turned to the door, following Ricky's finger at the sight of smoke seeping from the windows of the house across the street. Fuck, is that smoke? Rufus blurted. Ricky nodded solemnly. Looks to be. That dumbass must have started a fire with his final shotgun blast, Rufus grunted. Jeff shrugged. Well, there's not a whole lot we can do about it, except hope it doesn't attract a lot of attention.
Chapter 4 Sparks touched her earpiece as she hit the walking trail about 15 yards off the highway. Hey, Sparks, made it to the militia compound yet? Dan asked. Not quite, she replied. According to the GPS thing, I have about a mile to go before I hit the turnoff. Figured this would be a good time to touch base. I'm glad you did, as I talked to the other group about an hour ago, the principal said. Happy to report I have promising news. Did they secure the grocery store? She asked hopefully. Unfortunately, it went up in flames. However, they made it to a rich, gated community, he replied. The homeowners apparently loved Costco because the pantries are well stocked. That's great, Dan, Sparks said with a smile. Hopefully there will be enough there for the journey. We have our fingers crossed, he assured her. The redhead stretched her arms above her head as she hiked. How's morale at the farm? Everybody is scared, obviously, but people are holding up pretty well, he told her. Some of the older folks are keeping the young children entertained with stories, and a few of the older kids are throwing a football around. If I took a picture of it, you'd swear it was someone's family cookout. He chuckled and paused, but there was only quiet on the other end. You okay, Sparks? Yeah, just daydreaming about better days, she admitted. I mean, a week ago, I was fighting against an old boys network to get onto the SWAT team, and my biggest worry outside of my work was getting prepared for my next wrestling match to defend my title. Did you ever dream of making it to the show? He asked. I was never at that level, she told him. I mean, don't get me wrong, I could hold my own in a ring, but there were so many others out there that were bigger, faster, and stronger. And to be frank, I was happy where I was. Nothing wrong with being a big fish in a little pond. Dan chuckled. I can relate, believe it or not. Were you a wrestler too? The redhead asked, shocked. Baseball player, he said. Man, I chased that dream hard too, but just couldn't quite make it to the show. Spent about six years in a triple A before calling it a career. Six years isn't that long, especially in baseball, she mused. Why did you throw in the towel? Combination of things, really, he said with a shrug. I played third base, and the big league team traded for an all-star third baseman that was two years younger than me, which didn't exactly bode well for my chances of moving up. When I asked for a trade, they said no. Couple that with the fact I had gotten married the year before, and I decided to call it a day. There were more important things going on in my life other than baseball. I can respect that, Sparks nodded. And please, forgive me if this is insensitive, but were you still married when all this went down? You're good, Dan assured her. No, my wife Katie passed away in a car accident late last year. One second she was here, and then next, just gone. I mean, I would have loved to have had the last year with her. But she had A blood type, and I think that would have been much worse than what happened. I'm sorry, Dan, the officer replied sincerely. Didn't mean to bring down the conversation. I mean, any more than it already was, since we were talking about failed dreams. He chuckled. As crazy as it sounds, it's nice to talk about the old world. The old world? She laughed, too. It's barely been a week not quite ready to be referring to it as the old world. Fair enough, he conceded. 
Well, anytime you want to shoot the breeze about the good old days, I'm around. Thanks, Dan. She reached the end of the path, where it forked into two. And with that, I need to jump off comm for a bit, she said regretfully. I've reached the woods at the compound. Be safe, and give me an update as soon as you have one, he instructed. Sparks nodded. You got it. She clicked off the earpiece and readied her assault rifle. The officer of the apocalypse crept up to the road, taking a good long look in either direction to make sure the coast was clear. Once she was confident that nobody was around, she sprinted across the street and into the woods, immediately going back into a combat walk with her gun up in a crouched position. She wove her way through 80 yards of trees before spotting the compound. From where she was, she couldn't see much, except that the front gate was open. She shimmied up a tree, not far from her vantage tree the last time she'd been there, and braced herself in a V branch. She pulled out her binoculars and maxed out their range, scanning the compound. She didn't see any movement as she scrutinized the area and slid back down to ground level. She touched her earpiece as she approached the gate. I'm at the compound, and it appears to be deserted, she told him. I want you to stay on calm while I go through. Understood, he replied. Sparks swept the courtyard, a couple dozen corpses littering the ground. None were standing, though a few were twitching. She wondered vaguely if the zombies didn't leave enough of the militia members that they could be mobile upon reanimation. Looks clear, heading in, she reported, and headed to the storage building first. She poked her head through the window that Rufus had shattered shooting at Elijah, noting a pile of zombie bodies piled up in front of the door to bar it shut. Looks like Rufus was able to shoot Elijah, but it doesn't appear as though it was a kill shot. How do you know? Dan asked. She scanned the small space. Not enough blood. If he's still alive, you should get out of there, he warned. Not until I check the back storage buildings, she countered. She headed across the courtyard, careful to keep her distance from the corpses lying about, just in case they were animated enough to bite her ankles. A zombie moaned from the storage buildings ahead of her, and she raised her weapon. It was in civilian clothing, so not a militia member, and she waited for it to sprint towards her. That's odd, she commented when it didn't. Dan made a noise of curiosity. What is it? There's a zombie, but it's not running, she explained. It's like she wants to, but just can't. Well, don't admire it too long before putting it down, he advised, and she slung her rifle back over her shoulder. She was about to draw her knife, but the glint of a machete caught her eye. It was strapped to the leg of a fallen militia member, and she reached down and snatched up the severed leg, drawing the machete and tossing the leg in one fluid motion. The zombie staggered as the leg hit it, and Sparks shoved the blade directly through its face. It twitched as dark blood poured from the wound, and the zombie collapsed as she jerked the machete free shaking off the excess blood as she moved towards the building. Approaching the storage building now, she said, reaching for the doorknob. Wait, Dan cried suddenly. Sparks jerked back, heart pounding. Holy hell, man, don't do that, she said. It might be a trap, he explained. 
She furrowed her brow. A trap. You said these guys had a zombie pen, he said. They'd have to know someone might come looking for their supplies. I gotta give it to you, Dan. She let out a deep breath. You are absolutely right. She contemplated for a moment, wondering how to approach this situation in the event that he was right. She finally shrugged and simply knocked on the door, figuring if anything was in there, it would stir them up. The knock echoed through the empty shell of a building. When nothing followed the knock, she cracked open the door and peered inside. Building one is totally empty, she said. They took everything, checking building two now. She repeated the knock on the second building, and this time it was returned by moans. Rather than tempt fate, she ceased and backed away from the door. The banging from the inside was quick and loud, but the large metal door stood fast. Good call on the trap, Sparks commended. The second storage building was filled with zombies. Well, I'm glad you're okay, Dan sighed with relief. And really glad I thought of the trap. Not nearly as glad as I am, she admitted. Thank you. If my count is correct, this is the second time I've saved your life, he said wryly. She chuckled. Well, I don't like owing favors, let alone life debts, so I'll need to even up the score soon. Well, you coming back safe should be worth at least one of the life debts, he continued. I mean, you can't really fulfill it if you're dead. She shook her head. Well, I still have another day out here. Where else are you going to go? He asked, confused. The compound was a bust. She took a deep breath. I'm going to go to center point. It's an unnecessary risk, Sparks, Dan said quickly and firmly. The militia said they hit center point on the first day. Yeah, they hit the food, she agreed. But they didn't say anything about the drugstore. I mean, they have a drugstore, don't they? Yeah, they do, right on the main stretch in the center of town, he confirmed. All right, she said. Well, that's where I'm headed next. With any luck, they'll have the nitro there for the heart patients in the group. You're a few miles from center point, and it's going to be getting dark soon, he worried. You should think about finding a place to hole up for the night. Well, it sure as hell isn't going to be here, she shivered at the thought. So I'm open to suggestions. The airport might not be a bad idea, he suggested. Sparks paused. The airport? You mean the airport that's on the other side of Center Point? Doesn't really make much sense to huff it on foot through my destination so I can rest up. Have you checked the docks? Dan asked. She furrowed her brow. The docks? Sparks, the militia compound is built on the river, he explained. Chances are they might have a boat floating around. She wanted to smack her forehead. Just for the record, she declared. I'm chalking that one up to sleep deprivation. He chuckled. All right, I'll buy that. She headed to the river side of the compound and unlatched the door that led out to a small dock area on the water. Well, I'll be damned, she said. There's a boat. It shouldn't be too long of a trip he said. The river runs right by center point and the airport. You should be able to see the air traffic control tower from the water. In fact, that would probably be a good place to hole up for the night. Isolated, one entrance, and elevated so that I can see trouble headed my way, she agreed. Good call, he chuckled. 
I get them every now and then. All right, I'll give you a shout when I get to the airport, she said. Sparks out. She clicked off the earpiece and untied the boat before hopping in. After checking the engine, she gave it a crank, starting it right up. As she motored away, she flicked to the left at a movement out of the corner of her eye, but it was too quick. She didn't know if it had been human or zombie, but she was not in any mood to stay around and find out. Chapter 5 All right, that's the last of the food, Ricky declared, plonking the last few canned goods onto the living room floor. Mary stuffed as many as she could into the last bag and stacked up another case of bottled water. Got some cold medication from the bathroom, nothing in the bedroom, Jeff said as he emerged from the hallway and Rufus descended from upstairs. Rufus, you find anything? Ricky turned to the older man. He shook his head. Just some cold and allergy meds, he said. Looked through the bedroom and didn't find any weapons, unless you count a riding crop. I did take their handcuffs, though. Gotta love rich folks and their kinks, Mary said, earning a curious raise of the eyebrow from her husband. Jeff shoved the table out of the way of the door, leading everyone outside. All right, five more houses on this block, but really we can only hit two of them. I don't want to get too close to the burning one. Rufus headed up to the next door and knocked on it as a zombie check before working on getting it open. You know, I think we'd be all right to hit the neighbors' houses, Ricky said and crossed his arms. I know these houses are close together, but it doesn't look like the fire is spreading. I still think it's too big of a risk, Jeff replied with a shake of his head. If we encounter zombies, we can only flee in one direction. Man's got a point, Mary agreed. I don't really feel like running through flames, do you? Nah, you're right, Ricky conceded. Only gonna be about half a day's worth of food for the group in those two houses anyway. Hey, Rufus, how's the door coming? Jeff called up the walkway. Couple more minutes, the older man replied. Gonna try and pick the lock before I kick the fucker in. The skinhead nodded. No worries, brother, we have plenty of- An explosion suddenly racked the neighborhood, a giant flaming SUV flying out of the garage and landing with a metallic screech in the middle of the street. Holy fuck, Knuckles, man, what the hell was that? Ricky exclaimed. Looks like it was that asshole's car, Mary replied. Gas tank must have exploded. Moans permeated the air, and Jeff sighed. That doesn't sound good. The trio headed towards the front gate, checking around the flaming wreckage. There was a small horde of zombies reaching through the wrought iron, apparently attracted to the noise. Aren't you glad we didn't open the gate? Ricky asked smugly. Yeah, that was a good call there, bub, Jeff admitted. The horde grew larger, more zombies adding pressure to the gate. The trio watched with horror as the top dislodged from the motorized track and fell to the asphalt with a deafening clang. Back to the house, Mary screamed, and they fled back towards where Rufus was still attempting to pick the lock. Open the door, Jeff cried. Open the door. Rufus glanced back to see his comrades running full tilt towards him, a horde of zombies hot on their heels. He rocketed to his feet and forcefully kicked the door, 
twice in succession, loosening the knob. The third kick broke the deadbolts, the door slamming open, and he dove inside just in time for the trio to barrel in. Jeff threw his weight back into the door, closing it on a zombie arm and leg. Ricky and Mary joined him, but the old man stood, looking around the expansive front lobby. What the fuck are you doing, Rufus? Jeff barked. Making a plan, his white-haired companion replied calmly. Well, can you speed it up a bit? Ricky grunted, trying to get a good foothold against the door. Rufus took note of the indoor plants, specifically the four-foot-long metal planting spikes, jerking a few from the soil and heading back to the door. Ricky, Mary, get upstairs to the master bedroom, he instructed. Get ready to slam that door shut and try to find something heavy to move up against it. Jeff, you braced? Ricky asked. As much as I'm gonna be, Jeff grunted. Just go. The couple barreled up the stairs as Rufus set to slamming the metal spikes against the door. He grabbed a solid wood cabinet from the wall and dragged it over, putting it against the spikes. All right, that's gonna act like a doorstop, he declared. Pretty sure that ain't gonna hold them once I let go, Jeff said. Rufus sighed. How fast can you climb stairs? God damn it, Jeff growled. I really wish people would stop asking me how quickly I can do athletic shit. Rufus cocked his head. All I heard was fast. Fucking hell, Jeff panted. All right, when I'm in position at the top of the stairs, I want you to run up them and get to the master bedroom as quickly as you can, you got me? The older man asked. The skinhead groaned. Got it. Rufus stood at the top of the stairs, with two of the metal spikes in hand. Go, Jeff leapt away from the door and dove for the stairs, hitting the second step before the front door gave way. He reached the top of the stairs and turned to the master bedroom. Rufus shoved his spikes forward, catching the lead zombie in the chest. He flung the corpse back and forth with it, stopping the rest of the horde from getting up the stairs. The zombie pushed forward, the spikes going further through him and piercing the dead ones behind it. Jeff emerged from the bedroom, shotgun in hand. Get ready to run, he said, and shot the zombie point blank in the face. The blast took its head clean off, causing the body to fly back into the horde, knocking them down the stairs. The duo sprinted down the hallway and slammed the door to the master bedroom shut. As soon as it latched, Ricky and Mary dragged over a heavy dresser. There were moans and bangs from the other side of the door, but it didn't budge. God damn it, Ricky groaned. It would be nice if we could catch a motherfucking break today. Hey, look at the bright side, Mary huffed. At least they weren't flaming this time. Ricky let out an exasperated laugh. Thank God for small motherfucking miracles. Give me a minute, y'all. I gotta let Dan know, Jeff said, tapping his earpiece. Jeff, you ready for us? The principal asked immediately. Hold off on sending the boys, the skinhead replied. A horde broke through the gate. Dan swallowed hard. Is everybody okay? Yeah, for the time being, Jeff said. We're holed up in a bedroom and have the door secure. I think we're going to lay low for a bit and hope they get bored and leave. If there's anything we can do, let me know, came the reply. 
Thanks, Dan. I'll keep you posted, Jeff said, and hit the earpiece again. Well, good thing this is a king-sized bed, Rufus said as he patted the cushy four-poster. Cause it looks like we're gonna be here for a while. At least we can get a nap in. Mary gaped at him. How in the hell can you think about sleep with that noise? My dear, when you can catch some Z's in a foxhole during a Viet Cong bombardment, a little banging on the door doesn't really do much of anything. Rufus drawled and stretched out on the bed. Holy hell, these rich fuckers know how to live, he moaned as he sank into the soft mattress. Rufus is right, Jeff agreed. Go ahead and lie down, get some rest if you can. I'll take watch, we'll give it an hour or so. Ricky and Mary nodded, climbing up onto the massive bed. Before they'd even grabbed pillows, a deep snore came out of Rufus's open mouth. Jeff chuckled as he ascended the other side, stretching out across the foot of the bed. Mary shook her head. Are we sure he's not narcoleptic? Chapter six. The air traffic control tower grew taller as sparks motored down the moonlit waterway. The bright light on top of the tower acted as her north star in the darkness. The river began a lazy curve, so she ran the boat right up the embankment. She got out and took the rope in her hands, dragging it clear out of the water and tying it tightly around a thick tree. She slipped through some tall underbrush, reaching the deserted highway. She stayed off to the side, ready to dive back into the trees if she needed to. The only obstacle between her and her goal was an eight-foot-high chain-link fence. As she climbed it, she couldn't help but think about climbing the fence at her grandmother's house as a kid to get to her friends in the woods. The memory brought a smile to her face. She dropped to the asphalt on the other side, keeping an eye out for trouble, but all seemed quiet. There were a few puddle jumpers parked at the end of the runway, but no other vehicles nearby. The door to the control tower was shut tight, but there was a key dangling from an elastic keychain on the knob. Sparks pulled it off, and then realized there was a message scrawled across the door in permanent marker. One dead inside. She was thankful for the foresight of whoever had left this to think somebody might need refuge. She opened the door and drew her handgun, moving inside and locking it behind her. The interior was bare, just gray concrete walls and a spiral staircase that led 50 feet in the air. A shuffling sound echoed down from the top, and she pulled her machete, not wanting to risk a fight on the stairs. She banged the handle against the metal handrail, letting the metallic clang reverberate upwards. She readied herself at the dead screech of a response, but the zombie simply dove for her, flipping over the top railing. It plummeted the whole way down, only smacking wetly off of the railing once, hitting the ground head first with a sick crack. The zombie's neck was a complete 90 degrees, and it stopped twitching quickly. Sparks leaned over to make sure it was dead, and noticed the official ATC badge clipped to its shirt. The name read Stevie Johnson, and the photo somewhat resembled the mangled face in front of her. Looks like you knew you were going to die, but wanted to go out doing something important, she said quietly. You did good, Stevie. You did good. She nodded at the corpse and took a moment of silence before slamming the machete into his forehead just for good measure. 
She made the long trip up the stairs to the main area of the tower. It was a 10 by 10 foot box with a single row of equipment along the floor to ceiling windows. She tossed her bag down on the desk at the end of the room and took a seat in the massively comfortable office chair, enjoying the 360 degree view of the airport. Sparks touched her earpiece. Hey Dan, I'm in the tower. Glad you made it safe, he replied. Me too, she admitted. So look, I won't keep you. I'm going to have a snack and get these cell phones I picked up at the gas station charging, and I'm passing out. He nodded. Get some rest, Sparks. She touched the earpiece again, reaching into her bag for a sandwich and a bottle of water. Just as she wrapped her lips around the savory treat, the tower radio crackled. Kerrville Tower, do you copy? A male voice asked, and Sparks swiveled around, wide-eyed. Kerrville Tower, is anybody home? She set the sandwich down on the desk and headed over to the mic. This is Kerrville Tower, who is this, please? Hey, what do you know, there is someone alive down there, the man said, sounding relieved. My name is Winston Conroe. Well, Winston Conroe, she replied with a tone of playfulness in her voice. You can call me Sparks. What can I do for you on this fine apocalyptic evening? I'm just calling to let you know that you need to warn your pilots to stay out of San Antonio airspace, Winston told her. We just flew through there and barely made it out alive. Sparks sombered quickly. What the hell is going on in San Antonio? The military is bombing the hell out of it, he replied. We got buzzed by a fighter jet that nearly knocked us out of the sky. She gaped. A fighter jet to take on zombies? Yeah, things must be terrible on the ground in downtown, he mused, because the jet fired every missile it had into the high rises down there. Sparks leaned on the machine, biting her lip. My God. You ain't kidding, Winston added. From our vantage point, the entire city was on fire, and not just the downtown area. It looked like a group of pyromaniacs had started a thousand bonfires. So yeah, you need to let your pilots know. Well, Winston, I'll level with you. She took a deep breath. I don't work at the airport, but the good news is the place looks cleaned out, so any pilots that could have been warned must have taken off a while ago. There was a pause on the other end. If you're not airport staff, then who are you? I'm an Austin police officer, she replied. Or at least I was. Wait, Winston cut in. Are you that woman from the radio? She smiled, live and in person. Ha, huh, what do you know, he asked, amused. Good to see you're alive and kicking. You helped a lot of people with that message. She shrugged. I did what I could, Winston. So if you don't mind me asking, he drawled. What in the world are you doing at the Kerrville Airport? I don't mind at all, she assured him. This is just my home away from home for the evening. I'm out here scouting for supplies with a group I fell in with. Well, I hope the journey has been quiet and uneventful, he replied thoughtfully, at least as much as they can be given the circumstances. She sighed. Well, today was easier than yesterday, so I'm moving in the right direction. Best you can hope for, right? He asked. Yep, she agreed. So, Winston, if you don't mind me asking, where are you flying off to? As fate would have it, I'm looking for a new home. Well, I got a buddy who works for the railroad up in Dalhart. It's this little town way up in the Panhandle, about an hour north of Amarillo, he explained.
He sent me an email shortly after this all started and said that the town was going into lockdown mode. She furrowed her brow. How does a small rural town go into lockdown mode? It's funny, I asked the same thing, he chuckled. He said they were rounding up every potential infected person and putting them in the prison that's on the outskirts of town and blockading the only main routes in. It's also a big farming community, so they'd have food long term. I told my wife about it and decided it sounded better than being within a stone's throw of San Antonio. So we grabbed the couple next door, headed to the airport, and took off. Sparks nodded. That sounds like a winner if you can get there. Yeah, we caught a good tailwind shortly after taking off. That should help with the fuel, Winston agreed. Shouldn't be a problem to make it to their airport. There was a bit of a crackle on the last few words. You're breaking up a little bit, Winston, she informed him. Guess we're getting out of range, he said. Just so you know, I would totally offer to come pick you up, but we're full up in here. I mean, unless you want to hang on to the wing. I appreciate the thought, she laughed. It's all good, though. I have some unfinished business here to attend to. Well, if you make it up to Dalhart, be sure to look me up, he insisted. If I have any say in the matter, I'll make sure someone at the Dalhart airport awaits your call. She nodded gratefully. Thanks, Winston. You all be safe. Hell, girl, we're a mile above the action, he replied. It's you who needs to be safe. Will do, she promised. Until I make it to the panhandle. Look forward to it. There was a click as the communication broke, and she flicked off the mic. She shook her head in wonder, heading back over to her comfy seat, and put her feet up on the desk, taking her sandwich back in hand. Chapter Seven Ricky dug through the closet in the corner as Rufus's snores provided the overture to the still-present soundtrack of moans and bangs on the other side of the bedroom door. Man, all this money and not a single T-shirt? Ricky groaned. Are you kidding me? He pulled out a couple of expensive-looking dress shirts before tossing them back into the closet. You'd figure rich folk would know how to relax, or at least be able to hire somebody to teach them. Who knows? Jeff piped up from where he sat on the floor, back against the dresser barricade. Maybe these fuckers banging on the door aren't actually after us, and are just really desperate for fine clothing. Yeah, well, they can have it, Ricky muttered. Mary sighed from her perch in the windowsill, tearing her eyes from the stars to look down at the red brick wall. Hey, guys, she said as a light bulb went off in her head. I think I may have a way for us to get out of here. Rufus startled awake. All right, you got my attention. Everybody come here. She waved them over. I'll wait until someone can tag in, Jeff replied. Not sure this thing is gonna hold without someone pressed up against it. The other two joined Mary at the window, Rufus rubbing sleep out of his eyes. It looks like these people wanted the bigger floor plan, she said. Because that wall can't be more than 10 feet away. Rufus shrugged. And? And we jump for it, she explained. We're high enough, and the wall is low enough. I mean, we should be able to reach it with a good enough jump. Hell, one of us could jump over with a bedsheet, and the others could climb over. Little missy, I'm touched you think I'm an athletic god, Rufus put a hand over his heart. But I assure you that my bones would disintegrate upon impact if I attempted that. Mary shrugged. Well, it was a thought, 
and one we shouldn't dismiss yet, Ricky piped up. The old man raised an eyebrow. Did you miss the part about my bones disintegrating? No, not jumping to the wall, Ricky explained. I'm talking about jumping over there. He motioned to the window beside the closet and led them over there. The house next door was only about six feet away, with another window facing them. I'll never understand how people can spend this much money to live that close to someone else, Rufus mused. Mary ignored him. So how do we get in? We've got a shotgun, Ricky said simply. We just blast out the window and hop over. Yeah, but how does that help us get out of the neighborhood, Rufus asked. The front gate to the place is wide open, so God only knows how many of those things are in there. Jeff shifted in his position. What about a ladder? What do you mean? Mary furrowed her brow, turning to him. I mean, one of us goes over there, gets down to the garage, grabs a ladder, and we use it to reach the wall, the skinhead explained. I mean, these are two-story houses, so they have to have some 20-footers in there. Assuming these prim and proper folk do their own yard work, Rufus retorted. Eh, they're rich, Jeff said. They buy shit they don't need all the time. He's right, did you see that closet? Ricky put in. Who needs 80 button-down shirts? Rufus took a deep breath. So, who's jumping? I'll do it. Mary raised her hand. What? No. Ricky shook his head. I should do it. Don't pull that patriarchal bullshit with me, she snapped. I'm in better shape than you. I mean, when's the last time you did a pull-up? Her husband blushed. I'm gonna plead the fifth on that one. Exactly, she said, squaring her shoulders. I'm strong enough that if I short the jump, I can pull myself up. Now, do you want to stand here and argue some more, or you want to grab the shotgun? Ricky nodded. Shotgun it is. Rufus patted him on the shoulder and then opened the window. He stood back as Mary did some stretches behind him. The thunderous blast of the gun shattered the window across the gap, and they waited with bated breath to see if there were any zombies inside that were attracted to the noise. Damn, that window is toast, but it looks like there's some jagged glass sticking up from the base, Rufus worried. Hey guys, lift up the mattress, Jeff instructed. There may be some bracing boards underneath. Ricky and Rufus complied and found a few two-by-fours bracing the king-sized bed. They each grabbed one and then slid them gently through the frame, using them to jab away the rest of the jagged glass. Once clear, Rufus attempted to bridge the gap with the board, but it wasn't quite long enough. Damn, thought I had you a bridge there, he grunted as he pulled it back in. Mary squeezed his shoulder. It's okay, I'll be fine. Wait, before you go, Ricky cut in, I have an idea. He grabbed the bedsheet and tied it around the center of the board. He made sure the knot was tight and then reared back, throwing the board like a javelin through the opposite window. He pulled the sheet tight, the two-by-four acting as an anchor braced in the frame. There, he declared proudly. You can climb across if you want. Not sure I trust that two-by-four to hold very long, Mary replied warily. But drop the sheet out so I have a safety. You got it, girl, her husband agreed, and tossed the rest of the sheet between the houses. Mary climbed out of the window stepping carefully down onto the six-inch brick overhang. She took several deep breaths to psych herself up for the difficult jump, trying to ignore the moans of the zombies below 
attracted to the commotion. She crouched and sprung before she lost her nerve, hands outstretched. She caught the opposing sill, but a small piece of remaining glass sliced into her right hand. On instinct, she tore that hand back, but caught the sheet as she slipped back. She ignored Ricky's incoherent cry of fear as she nearly plummeted into the hoard below and pushed away the pain, heaving herself up into the bedroom. She stood up and looked back at her husband across the gap, his face pale and relieved. I'm good, y'all, she waved. Be back in a minute. She drew her handgun and approached the bedroom door, cracking it to peer into the hallway. There was a figure slumped against another door in the hallway, unmoving. She approached carefully and then relaxed at the sight of half of the corpse's head missing. There was a handgun at the dead woman's feet, and as she bent to pick it up, she noticed a fallen sign from the door. Emma's room was scrawled across it in proud crayon letters, and Mary's heart skipped a beat at what this poor woman had probably had to do. She moved quickly through the rest of the house, clearing it quickly. She knocked on the garage door, and not hearing a retaliatory sound, opened it. She was greeted with the welcome sight of a brand new 20-foot ladder hanging on the wall. She hooked it over her shoulder and hurried back upstairs. Hey boys, look what I found, she declared proudly, sliding the ladder across to their window. All that's missing is a bow and a decorated tree, Rufus gushed as he and Ricky took the end, holding it steady. Hang tight, I'll be right back, Mary waved once more and darted back downstairs, grabbing a shopping bag from the kitchen and loading it from the minibar. Upon returning to the bedroom, she slung it over her shoulder and then made sure the ladder had enough counterbalance for her to climb across. She took a deep breath, hand over hand, looking ahead instead of down at the hungry enemies below. Baby, you okay? Ricky asked as he pulled her back into the window, holding her tightly. Yeah, just a little prick in my hand, she assured him. Jeff laughed. Here's hoping that's the first time you've heard her say that, Ricky. Goddamn right it is, Ricky declared, giving the group a much needed moment of comic relief. So what's in the bag, Rufus asked, and she cracked open the canvas to give him a peek. Mother of God, Jeff raised an eyebrow. What is it? Just a half dozen bottles of the finest liquor money can buy, the old man replied with stars in his eyes. Great, if we survive this, we can get toasted. Jeff rolled his eyes. Mary shrugged. Well, we can do that, or we can use a couple of them to burn this fucker to the ground. You want to start another fire? Ricky asked, incredulous. Yeah, I do, she replied. These things don't seem to care if they're on fire or not, so I figured we could take out a good number of them on our way out. At least have a chance at thinning their numbers to the point where we can get the supplies out. Hell, sounds like a plan to me, Jeff agreed. If we don't do something about the horde, we aren't getting to the food anyway. Rufus nodded. All right, let's get that ladder out there. He and Ricky worked the ladder inside and then out the back window, extending it to the wall with a few feet to spare. They took a few more bedsheets and tied the bottom rung to the bedposts to secure it in place. Not gonna be the sturdiest of holds, but should get the job done, Ricky said. All right, I'm going first, Rufus said. I'll get to the wall, check out what's on the other side, and motion when I know what we're doing. Mary nodded. Go get him. 
He climbed along the ladder, hand over hand, frowning down at the zombies as they reached up for their meal in the sky. He shook his head as he reached the wall, a good foot thick for him to balance on. He looked down the other side, spotting a broken down car about 10 feet away that looked close enough to jump down to. He waved. All right, that's the signal, Mary, you're up, Ricky said, and his wife easily traversed the bridge. He followed her, and they stood on the wall, waiting for Jeff. He stood up, keeping his foot braced against the dresser, readying his lighter. You got this, easy as pie, he muttered to himself. All you have to do is sprint to the window, light and throw a Molotov cocktail as a horde of zombies chase you across a ladder above a pit of even more zombies. Nothing to it. He took a deep breath and ignited the fabric, immediately pocketing the lighter and making a run for the window. As soon as he let up on the dresser, the zombies were able to slightly shove the door open, just in time to take a flaming cocktail in the face. The glass shattered, and flaming liquid coated the door and wall, spreading rapidly as the zombies struggled to get into the room. Jeff hurtled out onto the ladder, trying to be quick, but careful not to wobble too much. Come on, Jeff, you got this, Ricky encouraged. Just as the skinhead was halfway across, a flaming zombie started out after him. Mary clenched her fists. Hurry, Jeff, she cried. He looked back and saw his pursuer and tried to move a little faster. Ricky aimed his handgun, but Rufus pushed his arm down. Don't fire, he said. We're making enough noise as it is and are about to be on foot. He'll make it. Jeff was about six feet from the wall when the ladder started to shake from the weight of he and the less graceful flaming zombie. Rufus held the metal as steady as he could, but the flames in the bedroom seemed like they'd eaten the makeshift supports. Ricky grabbed Jeff's arms and helped him onto the wall, and Rufus immediately jerked the ladder towards him, dislodging it from the house. It bounced roughly and slammed into the ground, the flaming zombie taking it down with him into the horde. As the smell of burning flesh permeated the night air, Rufus sighed. There's a car about 10 yards down. Shouldn't be that bad of a jump, he said. I think that house on the corner is going to be our best bet, as those bars look sturdy. Y'all get in and secure the place. What are you going to do? Mary asked. Somebody needs to keep them occupied, he told her. Make sure they don't go wandering off and setting the other houses ablaze. I'd hate to do all this work for nothing. Good deal, Jeff agreed. I'll contact Dan and let him know the situation and that we're holding tight till morning. Rufus nodded. I'll be along shortly. He turned to the fiery corpses below. It's a damn shame I don't have any marshmallows. Chapter 8 Sparks steered the boat along a dock at the edge of Center Point. It looked to be the personal dock behind a small house, and she tied off and headed up the embankment. She pulled out the GPS and looked for the drugstore. Six blocks up, she murmured to herself. One to the left, let's do it. She double-checked her AR-15 to make sure it was easily accessible, and that her sheath, knife, and machete were good to go. Confirmed battle ready, she headed off towards downtown. The streets were eerily quiet, with no movement to be seen. There were several corpses strewn about, 
and Sparks wondered if they were left by Elijah's militia when they raided the town. She picked up the pace and turned onto Main Street. She backed up around the corner of a building upon seeing a few dozen zombies milling about the sidewalk in front of the drugstore. Fuck, she muttered, pulling out her binoculars. Not enough ammo, and a full frontal assault would be suicide, she thought as she surveyed the horde. A diversion tactic could work, but if even one of them stayed behind, they could draw the others back. A double diversion, perhaps? One to get them away, and one to make sure they stay away? She took out two cell phones, set one alarm for 10 minutes and another for 25. It wasn't that large of a drugstore, so she figured if she couldn't find what she was looking for in 15 minutes, it meant that the drug wasn't going to be found by anyone short of an archaeologist. She pressed her earpiece. Do you have a stopwatch? Yeah, why? Dan asked. Set one for 25 minutes, starting now, she said as she reset the cell phone. Done he replied. I'll be in touch, she said brusquely, clicking off the earpiece again. She turned and placed the first cell phone on a nearby windowsill. Sparks walked back to the road she'd come from, which ran parallel to Main Street. She moved behind the buildings all the way to the drugstore. She peeked around a corner and made sure the coast was clear before sprinting across the road, skidding into an alleyway. She set the second cell phone on top of a dumpster admiring the concrete walls that would provide a nice echo for the concert she was shortly going to be putting on. She made her way back to Main Street, peeking at the milling zombies. In a few minutes, the first alarm bleated loudly from six blocks down, almost loud enough that it sounded like a police siren in the quiet. The zombies immediately sprinted to action, like a group of racers hearing a starting pistol, and tore off towards the sound. Sparks cautiously waited until most of them had turned the corner before running across the empty street. She peeked around a row of cars to make sure there were no stragglers waiting, and then managed to reach the door. There was a chain looped through the handles with a padlock. Shit, those fucking militia, they... She stopped at the sight of the lock hanging open. They didn't lock it. She jerked the chain down and dove inside, throwing the deadbolt once she got in. She moved out of view of the street and paused, drawing her machete to assess the room. There was a shuffling emanating from the back, and she carefully stood on her tiptoes, peeking over the small shelves. There was one figure moving behind the counter. She ducked back down, and combat walked up the aisle closest to the creature. She picked up a bottle of hand lotion from the shelf next to her and tossed it to the far end of the room. The zombie shrieked and went after it, and when it passed her, she flung her leg out to trip it. As its face smacked into the linoleum, she jammed the machete down into the back of its head. It gurgled blood for a moment before falling still. Sparks moved to the back of the cleared store to check the shelves. Most of the medication had been snatched up, However, a few of the prescription medication remained. She wasn't sure what they were as she checked each one, but was disheartened to see that they were not nitroglycerin. She threw them all in the bag anyway and touched her earpiece. Time check, she said. Seven minutes, Dan replied. She sighed. Well, they don't have any nitro. Look for a filing cabinet, he suggested. 
She glanced around and skirted a desk, finding one underneath. There aren't any drugs in here, just file folders. Those should be patient files, Dan explained. A lot of small town pharmacies haven't made the switch to computers yet, which is just fine since the population in these towns skews older. There has got to be a hundred files here. I don't have time to look through them, she groaned. I'm just going to have to take as many as I can carry and check them out when I'm clear. Four minutes, he said. Thanks, she replied. My plan is to get back to the boat and regroup at the airport. This means I won't make it back before you have to leave, so I'll just meet you in junction. Be safe and give me an update when you can, Dan instructed. Oh, and three minutes. Thanks, she repeated. Sparks out. She clicked off the earpiece and pulled a stack of folders from the filing cabinet, stuffing her bag. She was barely able to get it to close and wasn't happy about leaving some behind, but her time was up. She moved to the door and waited for the alarm, cracking the door so she could hear. The other alarm went off, giving her the kick to move. She bolted from the door and got across the street before the horde got to their next diversion. She ducked behind a car for cover, slamming back against it. The vehicle sprung to life, its own alarm going off, lights flashing. Fuck my life, Sparks muttered and took off the horde now fixated on her position. She pumped her legs as fast as she could, but they were gaining on her by the time she reached the residential areas of town. She glanced over her shoulder to see a dozen or so zombies in pursuit, and she hung a right around a house. She reached into her pocket for a cell phone, holding down the home button until a digital assistant asked what she needed. 10 second timer, she cried, and the phone complied. As the timer began to count down, she tossed it into a yard and veered to the right, hoping to distract at least some of her pursuers. As the alarm went off, she chanced to look over her shoulder to see a trio of zombies still coming after her. Her muscles screamed, and her enemies were gaining, and in a moment of desperation, she tore into a backyard with a pool. She threw her bag and guns aside like refuse out of a car and leapt into the water. The zombies piled in, face-planting due to lack of coordination. Sparks wasted no time in swimming to the edge to pull herself out, springing to her feet and drawing both her knife and machete. The zombies seemed disoriented, but still trying to get to her. She crouched by the side, and as their heads crested the water, she stabbed them like a zombified whack-a-mole game. Several strikes later, the pool was crimson with three corpses floating face down. Sparks forced herself to get moving again, ignoring the burning of her lungs as she retrieved her gear. She darted deeper into the neighborhood in search of a place to lay low. A few blocks over, there was a nice house with no car in the driveway and intact doors and windows. She ran up to the back door and knocked waiting a beat for a banging response. When there was none, she used the stock of her gun to bust out one of the glass panels and reached in to unlock the door. She flicked the deadbolt and shoved a little wall unit against the broken glass, raising her blades to clear the house. It was empty. After double-checking the front door lock, she collapsed on the couch and smacked at her earpiece with an arm that suddenly felt like jelly. 
Sparks, are you okay? Dan asked. Yeah, just, she huffed. Had some issues getting out of the drugstore. Oh my God, are you okay? He gushed. You aren't bitten, are you? She shook her head lazily. No, I'm good. Just an old-fashioned chase around town. Where are you? He asked. Some random house in the neighborhood, she said, kicking off her soaked boots. Going to lay low and catch my breath while looking over these patient files. She peeled off a sock and wrung it out. Besides, I need to let my clothes dry out a bit before moving on. Dry out? The principal inquired. Did you go swimming? Nah, just played the worst game of Marco Polo ever. She chuckled as she drew her tank top over her head. Turns out if you have a machete, it doesn't matter if you're a fish out of water, you still win. That, he couldn't help but bark a laugh. That is good to know. I'll be in touch when I have something, she said. Sparks out. Chapter nine. Rufus scrambled eggs on the stove as Jeff poured four cups of coffee, Mary and Ricky keeping an eye out for trouble. Come on, y'all, breakfast, Rufus called, and the couple joined them in the kitchen of the house they'd hunkered down in. How's it looking out there, Jeff asked. Ricky shrugged. Pretty quiet, nothing on the streets, he said. And the smoke coming from Colonial Court seems to be petering out, so it doesn't look like the fire's spread, Mary continued. Well, that's a bit of good news, at least, Rufus replied as he divvied the eggs between four plates. Now we just gotta figure out how to clear the neighborhood so we can get the food. Maybe we can lure them to one side like you did last night, Rufus, Jeff suggested. Stand on the wall, make a shitload of noise, and keep them there while the rest of us get the supplies. Sounds risky, the older man warned. All it's gonna take is one of them bastards to get wind of Dan's boys, and they're gonna be overrun. You could Pied Piper them, some bitches, Ricky spoke up. I mean, my truck is right by the entrance. We'll get her started up, get their attention, and lead them right out into the country. They all stared at him in awe. Ricky, that is a solid fucking idea, Jeff commended, and then shoved the rest of his eggs into his mouth before standing up. I'm gonna get Dan on the line and let him know. Pied Piper them, some bitches? Mary raised an eyebrow at her husband. I swear it's a good thing I was a math teacher and not an English teacher. Hell, girl, you should just be happy the boy made a literary reference, Rufus chuckled. Ricky grinned. You tell her, Rufus. She rolled her eyes and focused on her breakfast, knowing full well this was a battle she wasn't going to win. Jeff sipped his coffee while looking out the window, waiting for the principal to answer his tap. Hey, Jeff, Dan finally came through. Sorry about the delay there. I was helping get things ready. How we looking over there? Well, from our vantage point, it looks like the fires have burned out, Jeff reported. But we don't know what the zombie population looks like, although we do have a plan. Great, let's hear it, Dan offered. To quote Ricky, the thespian among us, we're gonna Pied Piper the some bitches. The skinhead replied with a grin. Ricky's truck is parked by the entrance, so the plan is to lure them out of the neighborhood and really right out of the city. Sounds like as good a plan as any, the principal replied. I'll make sure the team's going in, know to be ready for any stragglers. Jeff nodded. Probably a good idea, since we're gonna be moving as soon as the first wave gets to us. 
We won't have a way to know how successful we are. How long do you think you'll need? Dan asked. Jeff pursed his lips and thought. Plan on two hours, he said finally. He pulled out the GPS and zoomed out to take a look at the area. Based on our position, we're going to go out 1631, and when we get way out into the country, we'll leave them behind and circle around to Highway 16 and come back into town. We're not going to be able to go that fast initially, since we don't want to lose any zombies. Sounds good, Jeff, Dan commended. I'll have the boys ready to go in two hours. Let me know if anything changes. Jeff nodded, 10-4. He tapped his earpiece and went back into the kitchen. All right, the plan is a go. He put hands up as the trio started to get up. Whoa, now, finish breakfast. I told him it'd take us a couple hours, so we have plenty of time. Besides, how many more of these good old-fashioned hot breakfasts are we gonna have? Rufus shrugged. Man's got a point. Eat up, everybody. Chapter 10 Sparks shot awake, sitting up violently on the couch, gun in hand. She steadied her breathing as she remembered where she was, and lowered her gun, rubbing her eyes. She looked around at the file folders and clothes strewn about, yawning as she headed to the kitchen. She rummaged through the cabinets, finding very little. The previous tenants must have packed everything they had been able to fit in their vehicle when they left. Ugh, that's just wrong, she muttered upon finding a single canister of decaf coffee. Guess this is as good as it's going to get. She fired up the coffee maker as she tapped her earpiece. Good morning, Sparks. Sleep well? Dan asked. Not really, she replied with a yawn, up most of the night trying to find the heart meds. He frowned. Any luck? Only three patients had a prescription for it, she said. One of them has an address south of downtown, which after yesterday, I don't want to go anywhere near. The second one hasn't had their order filled in two months, which leads me to believe they stopped needing them. And the third, he prompted. Picked up a week before the outbreak, she said. Address looks like it's 14 miles northwest of my current position. So after I wake up a bit, I'm going to start hiking. Well, at least it's taking you in the right direction towards Junction, he said. She nodded as she dumped the blasphemous coffee into a filter. Hopefully they have some transportation there, because this walking is getting old. Why don't you just take a car from where you are, he suggested. She shook her head. Still too many of those things around, she said. I'd much rather sneak out of town on foot than risk setting off another alarm. I don't blame you at all, he said. How are the others doing, she asked. They're safe he reported. They found a good bit of food, and now they're going to lead a zombie convoy out into the country so we can go pick it up. When you talk to them again, tell them I said howdy and that I'm still kicking, she said. Will do, Dan confirmed. Be safe. She tapped the earpiece and poured her cup of decaf, grimacing as she did so. I don't normally wish ill on people, but seriously, whoever lived here can fuck right off. Chapter 11 The foursome hugged the wall as they moved up the street, guns drawn and at the ready. Rufus led the way, with Jeff bringing up the rear, and they met no resistance as they reached the front of the walled neighborhood. 
Rufus held up a fist to silently signal for them to stop and peered around the corner of the wall. There were no zombies outside of the gate, near Ricky's truck from what he could see, but there were lots of blind spots, and that worried him. Ricky, you got the keys ready? The old man whispered. When he saw his companion hold them up in confirmation, he nodded. Wait till everyone is in to start it up. Ricky nodded, and Rufus gave everyone a thumbs up. He turned, bringing his rifle up into combat-ready position, and led them into battle. When he reached the guard station, Rufus whipped around it, ready to take out any potential threat. The closest zombie was about ten yards away, milling just on the other side of the gate. It seemed more interested in the smoldering house than anything on the group side of the gate, so Rufus refrained from shooting it and instead motioned for the trio to run to the truck. Ricky led the charge, the three of them moving at a speed walk to avoid making too much noise, and made it to the truck. They carefully opened the driver's side door, and Mary crawled in first, Ricky following. Jeff climbed up into the bed, taking position over the roof to provide cover. Rufus moved silently across the gap, sideways, with his gun still trained on the distracted zombie. Just as he was about halfway, Ricky gently closed the truck door, and the tiny click was just enough to make the zombie turn its head. Without hesitation, Rufus put a bullet in its head, but the loud crack signaled the rest of the horde that dinner had arrived. Start the truck, he yelled, and sprinted towards the vehicle. Ricky fired it up just as zombies began pouring out of the front gate, and he punched the accelerator. Rufus halfway jumped into the bed, and Jeff grabbed him by the belt, pulling him the rest of the way as the truck bounced violently from running over wayward zombies. The truck cleared the front entrance with a throng of zombies in hot pursuit. Ricky turned down the road beside the fortified neighborhood, keeping a good 20-yard clearance between them and the enemy. Mary opened the back window. You boys all right? Pretty sure I cracked a rib, but other than that, I'm good to go. Rufus said, giving her a thumbs up. You're lucky you made it in at all with that eight-inch vertical. Jeff patted him on the shoulder. Rufus grinned. Heh, <laughs> you ain't kidding. Yo, Jeff, you got that GPS thingy? Ricky called back. Need to know where I'm headed. The skinhead pulled out the GPS and checked their location. Another mile, then hang a left. After that, we'll be out for a leisurely drive in the country, he instructed. He and Rufus sat back against the cab of the truck and watched as the mass of rotting flesh sprinted after them. What do you think, the old man asked. We got about 40 of them? Jeff shrugged. Could be 50. Well, whatever it is, Rufus said. Let's just hope it was enough. Chapter 12 Sparks peered through her binoculars at the house, a one-story rancher that would run seven figures in the city. There were no signs of movement, despite the beat-up truck in the driveway. She lowered her binoculars and stepped out of the tree line into the low-hanging evening sunlight. Just as she reached the front door, there was a high-pitched mechanical screech in the distance. She whipped around and saw a small black dot in the sky above the trees. That can't be good she muttered, and dove into the house, revolver in hand. A zombie moan echoed from the kitchen, and a rotting corpse in the shape of a teenager ran towards the officer. Yeah, come and get me, girl, 
Sparks urged and darted off towards the bathroom. She barreled down the hallway, opening the bathroom door, just in time for the zombie to smack wetly into the other side. Sparks kicked the corpse into the bathroom and slammed the door, trapping it inside. The undead occupant thrashed against the door like a caged animal, but it didn't budge. You hang tight, girl, the redhead said, and then did a sweep of the rest of the house. After securing her surroundings, she searched for the medication. The master bedroom and ensuite came up empty. She worked her way through the kitchen cabinets, and the first few contained expensive-looking dishes and glassware. The last cabinet revealed a stash that made her eyes widen. Holy hell, she breathed. Either someone in the house was feeling really bad or really, really good. She picked up two bottles from the bottom of the cupboard of drugs and put them in the bag as she checked the labels. Around halfway through, she found what she was looking for. There you are, she said with triumph as she tapped her earpiece. Dan, I got them. That's great news, the principal replied excitedly. And I have some of my own. The boys just got back from Fredericksburg with the food the other group rounded up. There's enough for two solid weeks, so we have enough to get us wherever we need to go. That's excellent news, Sparks agreed as she shoved the rest of the bottles into her bag. Have they gotten back yet? Dan made a noise in the negative. They had to take the long way around to clear out a hoard for us, so we're expecting them back in a couple of hours. Well, I'm going to- Sparks ducked at the sight of movement outside of the kitchen window. Fuck. Are you okay? he asked. She pulled out one of the cell phones and slipped it into her pocket for easy access. I have company, I gotta go, she said, and tapped the earpiece before Dan could respond. She drew her revolver, aimed it at the figure as they leaned towards the window, and then jumped up to fire. The figure immediately ducked, prompting Sparks to duck again as well, saving her ammo and returning to cover. Shit, shit, shit. She couldn't tell if it had been a militia or not, but as the front door crashed open, she figured she'd be finding out soon enough. She slid low across the floor into the hallway and peered around the corner. There were two militiamen with handguns spreading out in the living room. She didn't hesitate, putting a bullet in one's chest. He collapsed to the floor, gasping for air as blood gargled in his airways. His partner opened fire, shredding the drywall just above Sparks' head. She made a split decision and jumped up, running towards the shooter with her gun drawn. Her opponent immediately hit the ground to prevent being shot, but she leapt and landed a knee on the top of his head instead, stunning him. He staggered to his feet and took a swing at her, but she deftly dodged it, smacking the back of his arm in the process. As his back exposed itself to her, she wrapped her arms around his lower waist and lifted him rotating to smack him headfirst into the floor. There was a sickening crack as his neck snapped in two, ending his evening early. A bullet whizzed by Sparks' ear, hitting the wall behind her, and she dove further into the house as another militiaman burst through the front door. I'm gonna get you, he screamed, chasing her down the hall. As she passed the bathroom, she dragged open the bathroom door with her, a teenage zombie staggering out to sink its teeth into his throat. His screams turned from a bass to soprano as his vocal cords tore.
but Sparks didn't stick around to listen to the concerto as she bolted for the back door. As soon as her boots hit the grass, she hit the ground hard, dazed and dizzy. She tried to refocus her eyes, flipping over onto her back, and her blood ran cold at the sight of Elijah's face. He was flanked by four armed militia members, and he motioned to them as she tried to prop herself up on her elbows. You two, he demanded. Go clean up the mess she made. Then we're gonna go have some fun with this one. His sneer made bile rise in her throat as the remaining two zip-tied her wrists in front of her. They dragged her to her feet, Elijah keeping his rifle trained on her. So much death and destruction, simply because you wouldn't walk away, he said, clucking his tongue and cocking his head at her. So much death and destruction, because you and your boys don't know how to share, she replied with steel in her gaze, as the other two henchmen exited the house, loaded up with a dead man's weapons and ammo. You still don't get it, do you? Elijah chided, as he motioned for her to walk towards the tree line. Sharing under these conditions means death. There are no more resources being produced, and once they're gone, that's it. Spark swallowed, keeping her voice steady, concentrating on putting one foot in front of the other. How many people have to die just so you can live a few extra months? Everyone I come across if need be, he replied easily. You hear that, boys? She glanced behind her. You're expendable. The guard directly behind her shoved her hard, and she stumbled down a small embankment into the bushes next to the woods. Elijah sighed. Go get her. Yes, boss, the militia member muttered. Sparks quickly reached into her back pocket, grabbing the phone she'd stashed there. She quickly set the alarm for five minutes and tossed it aside, just as the guard made it through the bush to her. On your feet, bitch, he demanded, and grabbed her ponytail to drag her up. He shoved her back to the trail, and Elijah and his quartet continued to march her through the trees. Soon they reached a clearing with an SUV parked on the edge of a dirt road. One of the militiamen ran over to the vehicle and tossed her bag and weapons on the hood before hitting the headlights, illuminating the dusky scene. Another shoved her down onto her back, gyrating his hips. Oh, we are gonna fuck you up, then we're gonna fuck you good, he sang to her, licking his lips. You ever have a train ran on you? Hoot hoot, it's a comin'. Settle down, Elijah snapped. I have questions before you can have your fun. The eager young man backed off as his leader stepped forward, grabbing the front of her tank top in his fist. Now I'm not gonna bullshit you, he said firmly, eyes ablaze with power. Your time is short. However, if you cooperate, things will be a little more pleasant. Sure, my boys are gonna have some fun with you, but after that, there are two options. The first is a quick and relatively painless bullet to the head. The second is you get fucked one more time. He snapped his fingers, and one of the men by the truck tossed a machete onto the ground next to them. By that, he grinned cruelly, running his thumb up her cheek and over her ear. So, what's it gonna be? Are you gonna cooperate, or- He stopped speaking as his thumb hit the earpiece, and he pried it out. Interesting he said as he inspected it, and then pocketed it. Well, I'll just hold on to that. He jumped up and walked over to her bag, while the eager young man stood at her feet, 
rubbing himself through his pants in anticipation for his prize. Xanax? Elijah asked as he dug through Sparks' bag. I can understand the need to relax in these trying times. He pulled out the GPS with a grin. Now what do we have here? Sparks' stomach dropped, and she swallowed hard. Looks like my offer of a quick death has been rescinded. Elijah laughed, hopping up to sit on the hood of the SUV. The only thing I wanted to know from you was where you and your friends were holed up, and thanks to your little device here, I have my answer. He hit the saved location and then pocketed the GPS. I do hope you get at least some enjoyment from my boys, since in a few minutes, you'll be wishing for them. Sparks sighed, rolling her eyes. Figures you limp dick fucks would be Minutemen, she drawled. No wonder you have to play military dress up to feel like a real man. The young horny militia member lunged down, backhanding her across the face. She sneered, didn't think you'd be capable of foreplay. You fucking whore, I'm gonna, he began, but the bleat of the phone alarm cut him off. What the hell? Elijah screamed, find it. His cronies ran towards the noise, but none of them could find it, despite how loud it was. He grew impatient, jumping down from the vehicle. Forget it, we have what we need, let's go. The horny militia member pointed to Sparks. What about her? Leave her, Elijah replied, and jumped in the driver's seat. Before Sparks' would-be rapist could reach the vehicle, a female zombie dove from the shadows and bit him in the shoulder. His leader immediately punched the accelerator, leaving him in the dust. Hey, bitch, come get some, Sparks yelled. And as the zombie ambled towards her, she flung her legs up, catching the midsection with her feet. The redhead used the momentum to propel the corpse over her, impaling her on a rogue branch. Sparks popped up, retrieving the machete from the ground and slamming it into the zombie's chest, pinning her further against the tree. Don't move, I'll be right back. She winked at the zombie, using the exposed blade to snap the zip tie around her wrist. She slid down the embankment to find the phone and silence the alarm, casually strolling back towards her downed enemy. He held his wound, moaning, blood pooling in the dirt beneath him. Sparks knelt down, removing his handgun and tossing it aside. Real good friends you picked there, she said casually. I mean, sure, they were gonna let you have your way with me, but at the first sign of trouble, man, they were quick to get out of here. I mean, they acted like you were a stripper who told them they got you pregnant, they moved that fast. I will give your friends this, however. Your boss, Elijah, he does have a way with words. So since you were so fond of him, I'm going to give you a similar offer to the one he gave me. She smacked him across the face to make sure he was paying attention, and he whimpered. Hey, there you are. Now I want to know where the farm is. If you tell me, then I'll leave you here to bleed out nice and peaceful. I hear it's a nice death, since when you get close to the end, your body releases all sorts of stuff that make you feel like you're in dreamland. And if I don't, he stammered, still clutching his shoulder. Sparks smiled as she walked back to the zombie. She removed the machete and grabbed the corpse's hair, hacking at her throat until the head was severed. She carried it back over and held it close to his face, the snapping mouth wafting a putrid stench towards his terrified face. If you don't, I'm going to make sure you get a little head before you die, 
the redhead promised, and his eyes bulged out of his head at the horrific realization of her meaning. Okay, okay, he gushed. I'll tell you what you want to know. She leaned forward. Where's the farm? It's about three miles away. Just go up the dirt road right there and hang a left at the crossroads. You can't miss it, he blurted quickly. You sure you're telling me the truth? Sparks asked, waving the head around. Cause this bitch looks awfully hungry. He paled considerably. I swear, I swear. You know what? She set down the head, leaning back on her heels. I got a bonus round question for you. How in the hell did you guys find me? That boat you stole from us had a tracking marker on it, he replied quickly. We've had eyes on you ever since you took it. We waited until we had a tactical advantage to take you down. Eh, that's what I get for stealing, I guess, she shrugged. Okay, you enjoy your death. She got to her feet and turned, taking a few steps. You know, I have one more question, and it's kind of out of left field. She raised a hand turning around slowly to face him again. Do you believe in reincarnation? He was shaking at this point. Yeah, I guess. Then I wouldn't be doing my duty if I didn't teach you that being a rapist was wrong, she said, snatching up the head and shoving it down onto the militia member's crotch. The zombie immediately clamped down like a vice grip. You bitch, he screamed, flailing. Oh, please fucking kill me. Sparks smirked as she picked up his gun. Now, enjoy your death. Chapter 13 Slim picking in there, but not a total bust, Jeff said as he wandered out of the gas station, holding up a six-pack. All right, we're gassed up, Ricky replied, holstering the nozzle. Y'all ready to hit the road back to Fredericksburg? Jeff hopped up into the bed of the truck. Yeah, might as well. Ricky fired up the truck, and they sped off into the darkness. The ride was peaceful, nothing stirring on the roads. Once they approached city limits, he slowed to a crawl, sliding open the back window. Holy fuckballs, look at that, he said, and Jeff and Rufus turned and stood up to look over the roof. Man, something nasty went down here, the skinhead said, shaking his head. There was a mass of overturned cars, functioning as a makeshift barricade across the road, a string of bodies littering the ground. So now what, Bubba? Ricky asked through the back window. We can't go back the way we came, or else we'll run into that mess of zombies we strung along. Hand me the GPS, Jeff instructed, and Mary fished it out of her bag, passing it back to him. He sat down to fiddle with it. Rufus parked his ass down next to him. What you thinking? Doesn't look like cutting through town is going to be an option, so I'm seeing how we get to Junction from here, he replied. The device beeped and suggested a route that would take them right through downtown. Well, fuck, no matter what we do, we're gonna have to go through town. The road to Junction is Main Street. I got that winch on the front of the truck here. I can get one of them cars moved enough so we can slip through, Ricky suggested. Rufus pursed his lips. Then we just gotta hope Main Street ain't blocked. Or that we don't trigger a few hundred zombies, Mary added wryly. Oh, come on, baby, happy thoughts, Ricky suggested. She shrugged. A few hundred was my happy thought. All right, let's go for it, Jeff said finally. 
Ricky, you get the winch set and the rest of us will cover you. Ricky pulled the truck up to the car barricade and hopped out, grabbing the thick wire while Rufus and Jeff stood, keeping an eye out for any movement. Ricky secured the winch and nodded to his armed guardians that he was ready to flip the switch. The motor hummed as the wire pulled tight, and the sound of metal scraping against concrete echoed throughout the night. It was almost immediately followed by a chorus of moans. Contact! Rufus cried, opening fire as the first corpse emerged from the fortress of automobiles. Ricky immediately made a run for his seat, as several more zombies flooded out to the front of the truck. Rufus and Jeff were able to peg a few of them in the head as Ricky threw the truck in reverse. Hold on, he screamed, and the two in the back hit the deck as he floored it. The truck rocketed backwards and got a good 30 yards away from the horde before the winch snapped tight, slowing their escape to a crawl as the engine struggled to drag the attached car. Jeff leapt over the roof, sliding down the windshield and landing firmly on the hood. Mary shotgun, he screamed, and she fed it through her window as Rufus laid down cover fire at the growing group of zombies barreling towards the front of the truck. It did little to stem the tide, but bought Jeff a few extra seconds to fire shells into the winch. On the third blast, the wire severed and flicked into the horde like a busted rubber band. The lead zombies fell apart as the wire cut them in two at the waist, tripping up the second row. Jeff scrambled back up over the roof and dove to the bed, grabbing Rufus on the way down. Go, 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 he screamed, and Ricky floored the accelerator once again speeding backwards. A minute later, the skinhead sat up, sticking his head into the back window. Where are you going? Getting us the fuck out of here, man, Ricky called back. Where do you think I'm going? We gotta go through them, Jeff instructed, causing the driver to slam on the brakes and look back at him, mouth agape. Are you fucking crazy? Ricky blurted. There might be hundreds of those things in there, and it's the only way to get where we need to go. The skinhead replied firmly, we can't go backwards unless you want to plow through that pack of zombies. Ricky slammed his hand down on the steering wheel in frustration, and Mary put her hand on his shoulder. Baby, you got this, she said gently, giving him a squeeze, and he took a deep breath. All right, he said firmly, where am I going? Jeff passed the GPS back through the window to Mary. Once we clear the barricade, it's going to be the Fifth Street, he explained. Hang a right, and it's straight on till daylight. Mary, you're gonna have to be navigator, since Rufus and I are going to be holding on for dear life. All right, I'll make sure he knows where we're going, she confirmed. Ricky took a deep breath and tightened his grip on the steering wheel. You boys hang tight, he said. This is gonna be a bumpy-ass ride. He threw the shifter into drive and hit the gas, tires screeching before gaining traction and screaming ahead. As the grill hit the first batch of zombies, he kept their trajectory straight as corpses flew to the side like ragdolls upon impact. The commotion attracted more zombies, clogging the path between the cars that they'd made. He accelerated through them, scraping against the side of the barricade as he plowed through the crowd. Bodies flew through the air like bowling pins hit with a 16-pound ball as they entered the inner sanctum. Oh my God, they're everywhere, Mary breathed as a pile of zombies poured out of the nearby church, joining the pursuit.
Her husband didn't break his focus, making it to Main Street. One, two, three. He counted the streets as they passed. The horde was a good 40 yards behind them, running at full steam. Ricky slowed as he approached the turn, not wanting to risk tipping over or flinging his buddies out of the back. Said buddies poked their heads up over the tailgate, aiming their guns downrange to make sure nothing was close enough. Ricky turned the corner, hit the gas, and then slammed on the brakes again. What now? Jeff barked. Ricky sighed. Look. Jeff and Rufus clambered over to the window, peering through it to see through the windshield. At least a hundred zombies milled about between them and yet another barricade. Panic gripped the quartet as the reality set in that they were well and truly trapped. Ricky, Rufus demanded, you floor this motherfucker and aim for where those two cars intersect. The driver swallowed nervously. That's a hell of a fucking shot, man. Well, it's either that or we get fucking eaten, the old man snapped. Just do it, goddammit. A primal scream tore its way out of Ricky's throat as he punched the accelerator, and his passengers held on for dear life. The truck reached 50 miles per hour before impact against the wall of rotting flesh, vaporizing the front lines at contact. The meat and bones soaked up a lot of the damage and slowed the truck down. By the time they reached the wall, they were only going about 10 miles an hour, slow enough that zombies were able to start climbing up onto the tailgate. Rufus and Jeff opened fire, expending round after round in an attempt to keep the climbers at bay. But for each one that took a blast and fell away, another rose to take its place. Finally, the grill reached the cars, and they came to a near standstill. Ricky dropped the truck into four-wheel drive and gunned it, which was enough to get them moving a bit. The barricade groaned and started to give a little. Hang on, boys, we're almost there, Ricky screamed. Jeff's shotgun gave a sharp click. Fuck, I'm out, he cried, and Rufus got to his feet, swinging his assault rifle like a baseball bat. Jeff joined him at the tailgate to play whack-a-zombie, smashing the butt of the shotgun into whatever popped up. The truck finally was able to push through the cars and leapt forward to accelerate to freedom. Get down, Mary shrieked back at them, and Rufus and Jeff dove to the floor to avoid being flung out. They got a few hundred yards clear of the mayhem, and Ricky finally slowed down a bit. God damn, you boys all right? He asked. Never better, Rufus drawled. Jeff snorted. Peachy. All right, Ricky hooted. Let's get going then. Keep it slow for a few minutes, Jeff instructed. I gotta let Dan know we'll meet them in Junction. Well, after what she's just been through, this truck could use a bit of a leisurely stroll, Ricky said, lovingly patting the dashboard. Mary put her hand over his, and he interlaced their fingers, bringing her knuckles to his lips. She smiled at him. We made it. Chapter 14 Sparks made her way down a dusty dirt road towards a fence, jumping off into the ditch to hide her approach. She got to the entrance to the farmhouse property and took a beat to survey it. There was a large barn about 40 yards ahead to the left, and a large one-story home about 50 yards past that. 
It was difficult to make out any figures from that distance, but the lights were on and smoke curled from the chimney. She made her way across the field and up to the backside of the barn. The large doors were sealed shut, but a smaller, person-sized door was ajar. She slipped in, handgun raised and at the ready. There were horse stables built into either side of the barn, blocked metal gates about six feet high. The moon shone in through the rafters and provided just enough light for her to check each pen for enemies. She was so focused on straining her eyes in the dim light that she kicked a metal tool with her boot, causing a little clang. Moans permeated the space and she raised her gun immediately, taking a fighting stance. Upon closer inspection, however, she realized that the zombies were secure in the last pen, only able to reach through the bars at her. She noted the latch and furrowed her brow. What the hell is this? She muttered, taking in the dozen or so corpses with matching neck wounds. The other thing they all had in common was that they were all of Latino descent, and she shook her head in disgust at the blatant racism of the militia. Sparks passed the pen and almost tripped over a burlap sack on the ground. She peeked inside and realized it was a severed zombie head, still twitching and snapping and covered in blood. Her confusion mounted until she reached the other side of the barn and saw the reason for the zombie breeding. The path between her position and the house was littered with wooden posts holding corpses on crude leashes. These evil bastards had created their own vicious guard zombie brigade. A lone figure sat on the front porch of the house and appeared to be playing some kind of handheld video game. As she watched, two more militia members exited the house, one of them handing a beer to the gamer. They sat around a wooden table, laughing loudly. She ducked back inside the barn and contemplated her next move. Taking out three guards with only a handgun would be difficult, especially given that she had no idea how many more were inside. She needed a distraction, a large one. Sparks looked back at the caged zombies, and a devious idea began to form. She rummaged around a workbench and found a length of rope and attached one end of it to the zombie pen door. I guess this is karma for asking Jeff how fast he could run she said under her breath, backing up as far as the rope allowed. She drew her handgun, took a deep breath, and then yanked hard on the rope, freeing the zombies. The first of them clumsily reached for her, but grabbed nothing but air. They emerged from the barn, hot on her heels, with a thunderous announcement. Forty yards to go. The guards perked up as they heard more than saw trouble on the horizon. They scrambled to their feet and readied their weapons, screaming for backup as they realized what was headed their way. Thirty yards to go. Sparks slid underneath the grasp of a leashed zombie and drew the attention of a militia member with her agility. Before he could raise his weapon, however, she fired at him, the bullet hitting the house but causing the three enemies on the porch to take cover. Twenty yards to go. She took the opportunity to break into a sprint for the house, the wide open front door her target. If she could just get inside, she could lock these fuckers out with the dead ones. 10 yards. The front porch was within reach as an armed man appeared in the doorway to provide backup to his team. Sparks leapt as soon as she reached the stairs, landing a solid flying knee to his chest. 
The man fell inside, smacking the hardwood floor with the back of his head. She immediately launched back off of him, slamming and locking the door. She popped off a round into his kneecap as he attempted to raise his weapon at her. I wouldn't try that again, she warned, moving forward to kick his rifle away. Who else is in the house? He shook his head. Nobody. She cocked the gun. Not going to ask again. I swear, nobody else, he replied. There were screams from outside and a smattering of gunfire as the Latino zombies exacted swift revenge on their racist captors. Sparks turned her attention back to her prisoner, who was holding his leg wound tightly. Before she could resume questioning, another man emerged from the back room with a double-barreled shotgun. She dove into the front room, just missing the blast from the mighty weapon. You missed her, she's on the floor. Mr. Noni began, but his warning was cut short by Sparks shooting him in the lung from beneath the couch. As he gasped for air, his partner turned the corner and fired blindly, hitting nothing but floor. He popped the weapon open to reload, and Sparks took the opportunity to leap from behind the sofa and smash her boot into the side of his knee. His joint bent sideways, shredding every ligament, and he fell to the ground in a heap. If your hands so much as move, I'm going to end you. Are we clear? She demanded. He hissed in pain. Yeah. Anybody else in the house? She asked her new prisoner. He shook his head. If I hear so much as a footstep, you die, she promised. Now where's Elijah? He took in a deep breath. He's gone. Where? He was here about a half hour ago, dropped off some stuff and loaded up with heavy weapons, he explained, and her heart sank. Where's my stuff, she demanded. He furrowed his brow. What? My stuff, she growled. The fucking shit he brought in. Was it a big bag? He nodded. Back bedroom. You did good, she said. So you die quick. What? No, he pleaded, but she cut him off by shooting him directly in the face. She didn't even give him a second thought as she ran to the back bedroom. Her bag was strewn across the bed, the drug bottles dumped everywhere, some of them empty. She scoured through the contents, looking for her only connection to the group. Where are you? She gasped to herself as she searched, panic gripping her chest. Come on, please, where are you? She sighed in relief when she found the earpiece underneath a fold in the comforter and shoved it in her ear, tapping it. Sparks, is that you? Dan asked immediately. Her blood ran cold. Oh God, are those gunshots? The militia's here, and it's bad, he replied. They're, they're just killing everyone. A sob racked her throat. It's my fault, it's all my fault. It's okay, Sparks, he assured her, not sounding afraid, just sad. Look, I don't have much time left. The others are safe and going to be in junction. Go meet them. In the background, there were more gunshots, and a voice that she was sure belonged to Elijah yelled, They're in the house. I'm so sorry, Dan. Tears streamed down her face, and her gun fell to the bed her hands suddenly useless. I told you, it's okay, he said gently. You did everything you could to help us. Now it's time for me to go home to Katie. 
She cried out at the sound of a loud clatter through the calm, and Elijah clear as day. Good to see you again, Principal. There was a hail of gunfire, and she screamed, tearing the earpiece off of her and throwing it across the room. She scrubbed her hands up her face, burying her fingers in her hair and jerking at her scalp. I'm so sorry, she whispered through gasping sobs, her heart pounding in her ears, ba-boom. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, ba-boom. I'm so sorry. End of book three. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.